I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. Go. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzola, Sam Monson. We're back Thursday edition, previewing all of the week five NFL action. There's a lot of variance in the uh, the tone and cadence there. That's yeah, yeah. You want to keep the listeners engaged. You know, engaged. Roller you know. coaster of a... Uh, sometimes you're up, sometimes you yeah. bring them in with a little whisper. Uh-huh. Yeah, messes with their headphones, too. That's true. They hate yeah. that. How you yeah. doing, man? You ready? Yeah, let's go. All right, week five. So yesterday... We already previewed Broncos and Colts. But we Did I write that wrong? Picks. Is it? Where's this game? It's Denver, right? Yes, it's in, okay. Yeah, it's in Denver. I, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I'm. I've been seeing it backwards. I'm picturing it in the dome, okay. left and right. But it's in Denver. That's yeah. going to affect my pick. Yesterday we had Mike Kliss on mm-hmm. to uh, to preview the show. Go check that out. We got in depth on some leadership stuff, the quarterback, you know, quarterback history at Denver and what's going on with Russell Wilson. But you guys got to check out our Wednesday show. We had a fun one yesterday. Uh, Mike made his pick there. And did we give our picks on the show? We didn't, Mm-mm. right? So let's do that right now. Thursday yep. Night Football, get our picks in right now. Got to do that now. And you also need to watch that show because that's when I was wearing my Vuori stuff, which I'm not doing right now. It's not Viori? I, it, Viori. Viori. It's difficult to tell. Even after watching the little instructional video on how to do it, it's still still difficult to tell. But anyway, my point being, I'm not wearing it now. We're going to have that, that read coming up. Yeah, we're going to tell you about Viori later. And uh, it's, it's just it's bad timing. So you need to watch yesterday's show to get the, the visual impact and then hear the, the ad read. Anyway, Denver are favored by three. Where are you going? I'm going to – I like Indy if they were at home and I was picturing it in the Dome thinking I was going to take the Colts. Yeah. But I'm going to go Broncos. I am definitely going Broncos. I am uh, – It's a clean sweep this week. I don't like – I think for the rest of Matt Ryan's career, I'm probably not going to bet on him in outdoor games. Again, okay. Yeah. yeah. The, this is the first time that all three of us, you, I, and our guests, have gone with the same team. Oh, interesting. Same bet, right? Yeah, that's good. I love that you're keeping track of it there. All right, so we got 15 more games to discuss. We'll go through all of them. Let's start with Cincinnati Bengals at the Baltimore Ravens. This is Sunday night football. It's in Baltimore. Ravens favored by three, implying that these teams are pretty even, which I think is fair. They're both two and two. <laughs> so they're, so they're very even. Uh, Bengals had a lot of success against the Ravens last year Mm -hmm. actually torched them right in cincinnati here last year and there's i got a lot of interesting bengals numbers here what are you looking for though in this one initially i think it's another interesting test of the bengals offensive line baltimore again they're they're another team that doesn't have one superstar pass rusher but they have a platoon of guys that can all cause problems and um, not just on the edge but interior as well it's a good group of pass rushers it's another sort of litmus test for is this offensive line actually any better than a year ago? It looks like it should be across at least three different spots, but it hasn't been so far. Now, they've been up against good competition, and we saw even last week that there is a difference in Joe Burrow's ability to function depending on quite how severe the pressure is. So uh, that honestly is the story of every Bengals game from now for a while is 
how bad is it going to be in the offensive line? And can Joe Burrow function behind what, he, what the kind of pressure he's going to get? Yeah, so last year I mentioned I hinted at the two games. It was actually the Bengals crushed them in both games. 41-21 day after Christmas. That was here. And then in Baltimore back in week seven, 41-17. Bengals won. At that time, I believe the Bengals stepped into the number one seed after week seven. And it was like, you know, narrative changing, right? I, I, I had always hinted at this. If Joe Burrow is going to become the next quarterback, he's going to have these you know, narrative changing types of wins over division opponents. And they've had those against the Ravens. Then the next week, Mike White <laughs> beats the Bengals with the Jets 34 to 31. So the Jets took a step back. I mean, the Bengals took a step back after that win. But is this one of those where just the matchups fit the Bengals? We well, talked about Burrow against the Blitz last year. The Ravens don't Blitz as much. Hmm. But matchup-wise, it still might just be favorable to what Cincinnati likes to do. There are a few things I think that are different. One is that element that the Ravens are not going to blitz as much Two, remember last year Jamar Chase against the Ravens was horrific from a Baltimore standpoint the first game he had eight catches for 200 yards and a touchdown uh the second game when they knew it was coming better he still had seven catches for 125 yards like Jamar Chase went absolutely off against the Ravens and I think the first game in particular was the one where Marlon Humphrey was surprised like, yeah. we've talked about this before, and I think it's true even when we went down to Bengals training camp and the joint practices with the Rams, Chase looks different in person in terms of speed, suddenness. Just He looks like a more athletic and explosive individual in the flesh than he does when you're watching tape. I don't know why. I don't know how that works, but I think it's true. And I think there's a good degree to which a lot of people that played him last year were surprised by how big of a problem he is to cover and I think Marlon Humphrey is like the poster child for that like he lined up in press coverage on one play and Chase went by him like he wasn't even there beat him at the line and then ran away from him in a huge play run after the catch I doubt that happens this year like I I just think the Ravens are going to be better prepared for the task that is trying to cover Jamar Chase so if Chase doesn't have you know 150 yards in the game that's obviously a huge swing in their favor there have been uh, there was a pretty good discussion i believe is what nfl live with dan orlovsky and mina marcus spears ryan clark they're all talking about the bengals i mean they spent a while talking about under center versus the gun and tendencies and what you're looking defensively it was a good discussion um some of the numbers coming out of that there's a lot of people are talking about why are the bengals struggling offensively the run game is is poor um so a couple of the numbers that stood out they've got the lowest epa per play against cover two uh, or against two high looks when running the football sorry lowest lowest EPA per play running the football basically in Cincinnati this year and Joe Burrow's facing the most two high looks so a lot and a lot of cover two right so they're they're facing these teams that are sitting back two high safeties the same thing we've talked about what teams were doing with to Mahomes last year and and doing to uh, Josh Allen at various times saying we're not giving up big plays. We're going to make you pick us apart underneath. And the Bengals haven't had a lot of good answers for that. So Burrow's got a 45 passing grade, no big time throws, four turnover worthy plays against too high so far this year. It has not been good. And I say that to say that's also the not what the Ravens like to do. They don't play cover two. They don't do that a whole lot. They play like 10 snaps of cover two. And it's because it's so early in the season, when you go back and look at the teams that are playing the most cover two, it's teams that have played the Bengals. So it's like, it's the Cowboys, it's the Chiefs, teams, uh, I'm not, it's the Steelers, and the Cowboys are like one in three or something like that. 
And my question is, is it like the Chiefs last year where teams are just saying, this is the game plan to stop the Bengals. We're just going to run it. Um, and, you know, the Cowboys aren't really a cover two team. Uh, the Steelers aren't really a cover two team. They're just going to do it because we're playing Cincinnati. Or so are the Ravens going to do that, right? Are they going to come out of their comfort zone a little bit and play, you know, invite the run, win up front like teams have been doing against the Bengals and not letting Burrow and Chase and Higgins beat them over the top? Yeah, I think at this point there's no reason not to run that. You know, the the downside to all that too high kind of look is, oh, are you going to struggle against the run? But the Bengals can't run the ball because the offensive line is playing badly and they telegraph what they're calling. This was like when we talked about the Bills having like the best of both worlds, like they're rushing for and pressuring the passer. This is the opposite for the Bengals. If you can't run the ball and you can't complete passes against soft coverages, it's it's bad. That's bad offense. Yeah. So at the moment, there's literally no incentive for defenses to do anything other than run that kind of coverage because you take away their single biggest threat or at least dramatically increase your ability to deal with it by having more guys deep. And the downside is you're slightly weaker against the run where they're at their worst because, one, the offensive line is struggling, and two, they are – I think they're the wor- they might be the worst team in the NFL in terms of tipping what they're doing, like pre-snap. They just they, – they have – I think they have very obvious tendencies that they're just not changing. Like they're they're prepared to go with that and that's kind of it's one thing if you're good enough and you're executing anyway and it's like i don't care if you know what we're doing knowing it is one thing stopping it is another thing but the bengals aren't like they're struggling relative to where they should be and not picking up the low-hanging fruit of trying to disguise it a little bit and confuse the defense seems seems not ideal so what where are you leaning in this one because you've got the Ravens coming off a game where you know, it was a tough one against the Bills. They were up 20 to 3, end up blowing the lead. The, the, the Ravens are, I mean, they're a handful of plays from being 4 0 for whatever that's worth, right? Blew it against the Dolphins, blew it against the Bills. I don't love this matchup for the Ravens, though. I just don't, I, unless, they, unless they change the way they play, I don't love this, uh, this matchup for the Ravens. I think the, and I think the Bengals are starting to, they're getting incrementally better every single week. And that was, the, that was the big adjustment they made last year, which was put more on your quarterback's plate. And I think they can do that, right? It's not like Joe Burrow is going to be incompetent against two high looks, I don't think. Just like I think over time, Mahomes will, you know, Mahomes figures out those looks and you scheme up against it. So I think it's all doable. And I think the Bengals are going to, I like them as underdogs, man. Three points, three points on the road. Um, I like I th- the way the Bengals are trying, trending here. So you're going Cincinnati. I'm going to take points. Cincinnati. Uh, I'm going to take Baltimore. I think that defense will be a, t- a challenge for Cincinnati's offense again. I, I think the Bengals' offense is – or sorry, the, the Ravens' offense is a fascinating you know element of this as well. They're obviously one of the most unique offenses in the NFL. Cincinnati's defense has, has looked really good. On the other hand, you look at the quarterbacks they face, and you're like, eh, if they hadn't looked good, that would be a problem. So all of a sudden, you're going to get a different level of test this week. And we might find out that actually that Bengals defense isn't quite as good as it looked. So I'm going Ravens. Good test for the Bengals. Is, you're right with Lamar, um, you know, generally playing well. He's just been, I mean, he's been the key to the Ravens running game more than ever, right? You, you don't have you know, efficiency outside of that. But we've seen, we've seen the Bengals scheme it up and do pretty well against the Mahomes and Lamars of the world and everything. So, all right, I'll take the Bengals, man. Let's do that. I'm going to find my first read here. It is Viore. 
Go check out yesterday's show. Sam was wearing it. Mm. Viore. That's okay. what they tell me. All right, that's, that's fine. How did you do it? Like the real way, it's like slightly different pronunciation. Yeah, I was taking a stab at the real way, but that's anyway. Way. We're we're talking incredible versatility and comfort. You know what? Actually, I got a message. My my best friend uh, Mike. I only I shout him out because he's a listener. He's like, that's my stuff. That's my brand. Mike is like high class. I mean, that dude. In uh, he's looking for versatility too. Yeah, you know, he's a dad. He's a dad on the run, trying to look good and be comfortable, all at the same time. So like Mike's like my uh, the, like the prototype here for Viore. So he's loving it. He's trying to get the promo code as well. It's designed to look great in everyday life, in or outside the gym. Perfect for any workout activity. So you know if you're nice and uh, if you are active like you are, right? You're always working out. You can work out in this stuff and look good all at the same time. And uh, it was easy to select. You go. You get. I mean, I'm looking at the polos over there. What'd you end up getting? A couple shirts. I got a waffle knit hoodie thing, like a sort of t-shirt hoodie deal you know those kind of things the light not right that's right that's right those are legit a that yellow sweatshirty thing the kind of light sweatshirt deal yeah so it's light but it's it's perfect perfect this time of year yes as well that's what i was went they had a ton of you know shorts and stuff and i was like no look it's getting cold i'm not going to go with the uh the summer stuff i'm going to target winter wear or at least fall wear things with sleeves yeah yeah. Well, perfect time for that. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're, we're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get, you, get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash PFF. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash PFF. See, I went to slash show F. notes and there was nothing there. I had to, yeah. you know, I had to go with the I PFF. do want to email them and say, could you just activate show code really quick just in case somebody types it in? <laughs> Just in case. So not only will you receive 20% sure off your first purchase, but don't talk over me when I'm talking about free shipping sorry, here. Sorry. You get free shipping on any U.S. order over $75 plus free returns. Go to viore.com and uh, viore.com slash PFF and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Hmm. Did you have something else you want to I was, I, You know, I, so long as we get credit for anybody that signs up using forward slash show code. What if there's like a show code podcast and we're just feeding them people? Well, then you've the show code podcast. chopped our knees out from under us with the Vuri people. That would be, that'd be embarrassing. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was challenging picking the best games of the week. Okay. So I had to go with three and one Giants. You went with the Giants. They're three and one. The Giants. The, the, hmm. Three and one Giants and the three and one Packers. Yes. I mean, it's, a, it's like a battle for the number one, you know, for uh, have you the seen, number two seed in have, the NFC behind the Eagles. Have you watched the Giants play football this year? Yeah, you are what your record is. I don't think that's true. I can't say that with a straight face. No, I don't think that's true. Come on, we've hated on the Giants enough. Let's give them some credit. They're at the top of the show here. Okay. In this battle of three and one teams, the Packers are favored by eight. It's yeah. in London again. I know it's, it's across the pond, but are they playing in a different city? Or is it London? No, it's London. Okay. They so It was the Germany game later this year. <laughs> they had, uh, oh, who was it? Um Stacey Dales, maybe, was doing a report somewhere from London, and she was coming live from St. James's Park, which is a park in London, but it's also the name of Newcastle's football stadium. Uh, I thought someone had, for a prank, sent her to Newcastle for the, you know, the game. I, that would have been hilarious. That would be funny. It's like, yeah. you know, a couple of hundred miles in the wrong direction up north. If she'd just been standing outside St. James's Park with the mic reporting on a game that was taking place nowhere near there, I would have appreciated that as a prank. That would have been amazing. But sadly, she was actually coming from the park in London. So it wasn't quite as funny. 
anyway, yeah, this game is in London. It's an eight-point spread for Green Bay, and it's happening at nine in the morning, presumably. And yet you've decided this is one of the games of the week. This yeah. is why I don't let you do the spreadsheet. I mean, the Giants are tied for the league lead with the most explosive runs. They might not have a healthy quarterback. So? So, you don't think it's a problem? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a problem. Yeah. Daniel Jones got a hobbled ankle. Yeah. Tyra Taylor got concussed. Saquon was running wildcat snaps in the game. It's a Packers roll. I mean, yeah. Next. This doesn't feel like a game of the week to me, based we'll off find another analysis. game of the week. Well, it's a little late now. No, I want to hear you justify. We're going to go through. Explain to me why this game is interesting. Because both teams are 3-1. and one. Explain to me in a way that doesn't include 3-1. and Because the Giants are going to try to run the ball. Saquon's got a ton of yards this year. They're going to try to run the ball, keep it away from Aaron Rodgers. We've got some cool matchups. Rashawn Gary against rookie right tackle Evan Neal. Cool matchups. Cool matchups. Yeah, it's a cool matchup. Hmm. And you got a little cat and mouse game here. Yeah, Wink Martindale loves to blitz, right? Yeah. Loves to come, but you don't blitz Aaron Rodgers. Uh-huh. And last year, I mean, the, we don't have too many matchups. Last year, the Ravens had like seven practice squad corners out there, and they didn't blitz once. I mean, they blitzed twice. That was it. And uh, so, I want to see how do the Giants attack the Packers? You're reading out a list of ways that this game isn't interesting. Oh, these are fu- these are fun things. These are fun things. So, I mean, I'm happy for you as we go through the other 13 games. I'm happy for you to point out this would be the you know, game of the week. So effectively, your argument is that this game will be entertaining because the Packers are dramatically better than the Giants and will stomp them. So we think, but you know, anything can happen across the pond. Anything can happen across yeah. the pond. It's like Miami. Did you know that this is the first game that's taken place in London where both teams enter the game with a winning record? No. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. <laughs> the NFL did a really good job of just... That's like, how much the NFL yeah. has been screwing London in this whole process. <laughs> this, this is the first game where both teams have a winning record, and one of them we believe to be hugely fraudulent. Yeah, and one of them we're like, this is the worst 3-1 team we've ever seen. Yeah, that's, Since the last that's one. what London has been dealing with in the last decade worth of these games. Well, anyway, what are you looking forward to seeing in this game? I, not much. Perfect. I mean... You're right. Like the the Rashawn Gary versus Evan Neal thing is fascinating in a morbid beatdown kind of way. Uh, what do you mean? Give give uh, Evan Neal some credit. Maybe he's gonna start figuring out Andrew Thomas, the top left tackle in the NFL. Yeah, who will presumably face almost nothing of Rashawn Gary because why would he? Um, so that like yeah, Andrew Thomas is playing really well. The rest of the line isn't, and the rest of the line is gonna have to contend with Green Bay's best players. So that's probably an issue. Um, I mean, look, Saquon is an interesting player to watch right now because he looks to be playing towards his best, if not at his best right now. He's able to turn stuff, uh, busted plays into something significant like we saw last week. But, God, if he's the only thing they have going for them, which might actually be the case at this point. It's less exciting, but it is somewhat interesting because you have the Patriots. Like, Packers are running into uh, a little bit of good luck here with the Patriots. You know they've got their backup quarterback out there. He lost a series, um, so they've got a fourth round rookie making his NFL debut one week. The next week, we don't know who the Giants are trotting out there at quarterback as well. I, I, I'm somewhat fascinated by these games when you have a team that is an underdog like the Giants, and they they're going to have to 
try to shorten the game and play ball control. And you know, the Patriots did that well last week, right? You got to pick six in there. You run the ball pretty well. Before you know it, New England actually had a chance to win, even though they're pretty much overmatched by Rodgers and the Packers. So to see if the Giants can can pull that off. Saquon is averaging 5.5 yards per attempt, which is probably similar to what Daniel Jones is averaging as a passer. Let's see. Yeah, six. So it's pretty close. Add sacks in there, and the Giants' run game has actually been more efficient than their pass game so far. So can they shorten the game, play good defense, and not give up the explosive plays against the Packers? That's no. the question. No, yeah, can't. I don't think so either. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think they can. Dexter Lawrence had a massive game last year, last week. I mean, that's the Giants' chance here. If they can win, if they can win up front, Leonard Williams has been banged up. We'll see if he comes back. Kayvon Thibodeau, Dexter Lawrence. I mean, on paper, that's starting to look like a pretty good defensive line. If they're Daniel, all playing to their capabilities. Daniel Jones needs one good carry for him to be averaging more on the ground than he is as a passer. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the that's the other thing too is. I, I don't know how healthy Daniel Jones is going to be. What is he officially questionable? I assume he's questionable. Like that's the standard for that thing. I, I would imagine he plays, but he's working on a hobbled ankle, so I don't imagine he plays. Officially questionable. Limited well. capacity yesterday. So yeah, we'll see. Good choice. Where are you going with this one? Green Bay. We'll go to the next game of the week then. Yeah. Look through the list. Who's the? Yeah, I'll take Green Bay as well. Who's the next game of the week? Well, apparently it's the Chargers against the Browns. Is that fair? Is that better? I mean, it's better than the last game, yeah. Chargers at the Browns. We got the Chargers favored by two and a half here. Miles Garrett coming back mm. for the Browns. Browns got absolutely whooped up front last week. And it was one of those they spent the offseason, you know, somewhat neglecting interior defensive line. And, you know, they, they were trying to stitch it together. They, they made some moves that... On the edge, but both, you know, Miles Garrett, who they have as a star, obviously, he was he was hurt. Jadavian Clowney hurt, and they just struggled against the Falcons. Falcons ran all over them. Um, but Miles Garrett's back, at least this week. So, what are you looking for in this one? Yeah, Garrett changes everything for Cleveland's defense. Uh, this, though, it, it, I sometimes there are games that are um, kind of repeats of a year ago that were significant games last season, and you get a chance to kind of run it back and see what the changes that each team made have done to the way that game panned out. Remember this game was the game where Cleveland just ran all over the Chargers defense and sort of made the point that, hey, the idea of inviting the run only works to a point, you know? It's probably the most efficient way of playing defense as long as you can stop the run short of it being more valuable than the equivalent pass play on average. And the Chargers couldn't. They were so bad against the run last that the Cleveland was just able to rack up six plus yards per carry and just dominate. Uh, and we were, I was calling that like football from 2032 yeah. at the time. It felt futuristic. Like offense was crazy. They were going. Both teams were going for every single fourth down. They were maximizing possessions and all sorts of stuff. And it was just out of this world. So the Chargers made a bunch of changes to the defense in the offseason. They bring in a bunch of guys that should help the run game. Now. The Browns and the Chargers this season are averaging the same 1.5 yards before contact in the run game, which is lower third, I think. Lower third, bottom half, somewhere in that range. Uh, But the Chargers are still second last overall in yards per carry against the run. 5.4 yards per carry. Now, Nick Chubb is dominant. The Browns' offensive line is pretty dominant. Nick Chubb has broken 32 tackles, which is 10 more than any other running back on the ground this year. 
So this is this has the potential to go the same way as a year ago, even with the changes that the Chargers have made on defense. Chargers run defense is 13th worst, just by pure PFF grade. Uh, the Browns run blocking grade is fourth, and their actual running grade, their their runners number one, led by Nick Chubb, as you said. So then on the then you're talking Justin Herbert and uh, Jacoby Brissett going head to head, and you know Brissett he's been a little up and down. We were we were singing his praises before last week. Took a step back last week. Can he play that game game manager type of role that he's been playing, especially against this Chargers defense? They'll probably give you some underneath stuff. Um, versus Herbert, you know who you know battling through the uh, the torn cartilage, torn. Yes. The torn cartilage in his ribs. Is that healed by now, no, Doctor? Broken. Broken. That's right. It, it was it was broken. Like a feels like, like a it bone. should be torn, but apparently it's break. Should be better by now. Um <clears throat> Herbert, though, looked much more like himself last week than he did end of week two and in, in into week three. So definitely looks healthier. And again, I don't know. It'll be that that Miles Garrett matchup will be fascinating, right? We talked about Jamari Sawyer, the sixth rounder, filling in for Rashawn Slater last week at left tackle. And Sawyer was fantastic. But as much as our pass protection, like pass protection is pretty consistent, but also pretty dependent on who you play. Mm-hmm. Talk about it when we get to the Rams game, when you talk like Joe Noteboom, two good games, two bad games. Like the bad games were against elite rushers. Like when he had to face Von Miller, when he had to face Nick Bosa, it was bad. And we saw, we see people like Orlando Brown have good overall seasons where they have like a seven pressure outing against Miles Garrett. So Sawyer was really good last week against the Texans, but against Miles Garrett. Yeah, and look, in his defense, the Texans have some formidable pass rushers. Now, they don't have a Miles Garrett, but they have players that it's, it's an achievement to give up no pressure against the, pass, the edge rushers that the Texans can deploy. Um, now, it's a step up again to say, all right, now it's Miles Garrett. Good luck. But it's not like he played, you know, it's not like he went up against a team that has no edge rushers whatsoever and it's kind of expected or not, not a huge noteworthy achievement to get to give up nothing last week he actually did that against a team that can bring some pressure so I think that was an impressive game from Sawyer but yes this is a another step entirely all right charges by two and a half it's on the road last week last year was in LA right it was in the dome yeah where you going with this one open dome where you going with this one uh Browns I think they'll still be able to run the ball fairly much at will I think Jacoby Brissett has been good enough that as long as he doesn't create some horrible pick six in there, they'll roll. <sighs> Still going with the Chargers. Is that two? What we got for home? Yeah, home under. Okay, yeah, I'm taking the Chargers here. I'm going to take the Chargers okay. to win this thing. I'm still still buying into them. I think healthy Justin Herbert's going to gonna sling it around a little bit. Denzel Ward finally playing a little bit better than he was earlier in the season. I'm torn on the Browns roster. You've been talking them up. I think they, I think they are ultimately a little bit worse than they've been the last. Couple I mean, of I think years, the though. defensive line without Miles Garrett stinks. If Miles Garrett's there, it does a change a lot. Yeah, it does change a lot. Ah, oh, this thing again. As y'all know by now, this season we've been following Symbol, the stock market for sports. Symbol lets you trade pro and college teams like stocks, and even earn 
cash dividend payouts when your teams win. It's a great way to speculate on sports teams in a long-term stock market-style format. So here's a little mid-season update on how a few teams are performing since week one. We have the Vikings up over 5% on the week after knocking off the Saints. The Bucks are down 7% on the week after back-to-back losses, and the Chiefs are up over 3% on the week after beating the Bucks. Now, if the Bucks are down, I would buy low on them. That's my hint. Bucks have an easy schedule coming up. I would suggest buying low on the Bucks. The Broncos are also down over 4% this week after falling to the Raiders. And the big winner this week, the Philadelphia Eagles, up over 9% on the week after their 4-0 start. So you can check out the entire market by downloading the Symbol mobile app for iOS by searching S-I-M-B-U-L-L in the App Store. Use the code FOOTBALL to receive a free team stock valued up to $150 upon signing up. It's really a fun market and a great way to speculate on teams that are rising and falling. Download the app, create a free account, enter code FOOTBALL to get a free stock valued up to $150 after signing up. And don't hold me to my tips. I'm just telling you, if, you know, look ahead, look at team schedules, and anticipate. Was the word y'all really in the read? I didn't say y'all. Yeah, you did. When did I say y'all? Like literally the first line of the read. As you all know. You said y'all. I did? Yes. <laughs> no. You did. This is like that ad. You know, can I get a challenge flag on that? that it happened. I'm not so traumatized by the word that I invented it coming out of your mouth. Like you said, you had a read where you actually had to say y'all a couple weeks ago. Wasn't it? Yeah, there's emails that I had to say. Email, email, not doing that anymore. And I just went full southern. Yeah, I mean Cincinnati's basically the South. I'm like a right, a southerner now. I mean, we can see the border, you know, with Kentucky. I need to say Harvard and Ka and Pac is something to like offset this. (sighs) I need to get back, get back to my roots. Yeah. Tyler, if you could play back the replay, I would, I would like to know if I did actually say <laughs> y'all. We actually have the ability to run that challenge flag. We, we can do that. We have the technology. Okay. What's the next game? Philly What's at the next Arizona. game, y'all? Philly at Arizona. Philadelphia Eagles at the Arizona Cardinals. Eagles by five and a half on the road against the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. If this game, again, I've, I've mentioned this before, if this game's happening in week 14, and we just have a little bit more data on both teams. Yeah. It feels like it would be 10. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, doesn't it feel like the way these teams are playing, this should be 10? And I know the Eagles have dominated a couple first halves and let teams back in, and the, the score's been a little bit tighter than it should be. But doesn't it feel like the Eagles are a much better team, even on the road? Yeah, but, I think because the Cardinals have a Kyler Murray you know, there's a degree of respect for the fact that they can still hang a ton of points on people, you know, even when things aren't going great. There we go. Look, the challenge flag has come back. He did say y'all. Stone, can you come and announce that as a referee? I, uh, I, I win my challenge. After further keep, review, the call, the rule, ruling on the field is upheld. I get to keep my timeouts. Stands. And uh, I win. You could challenge later yeah. if, I, if I say y'all again. All right. Officially a Southerner. Mm-hmm. That's a rough way to find out, yeah. live on a podcast. Unprompted, y'all. Yeah, so I think there's still some respect for what the Cardinals can do when things are clicking, but there's only so long they can not fire before we give up on it and say, no, this is just not going to work. Um, and I think this is a this is a rough matchup for them. That offensive line has actually been doing reasonably well, but it's a banged-up interior now, and they're going up against Philadelphia's defensive line, which... So it, they haven't actually got a great pressure rate this year. It's just that they went 
crazy ape against Washington and got like a million sacks. Um, but they do have a sort of worse version of that 2017 defense where they can go seven deep with a bunch of guys that can get pressure. Um, and a bunch of them are in the interior. You know, like all of a sudden the prospect of deploying a Jordan Davis against anybody that the Cardinals can throw out there is kind of scary. The Eagles are they're pairing coverage and their pass rush as well as any team in the league right now is what i would say i know pressure rate might not might not be there but again they've been in a lot of garbage time situations uh from a defensive standpoint right playing defense against the lions up a lot against the vikings when they're up a lot against washington when they're up by a lot so Yes, they're in, in, you know, converting, converting pressure to sacks is often on the quarterback, right? When you're facing Carson Wentz, that happens 30% of the time. That's double what most quarterbacks do. So sack rate might be inflated a little bit, but you also have the Eagles on. This is the biggest change. 10-plus yard throws, EPA per play is third best in the NFL. So, they're, again, you know, last year they were doing a good job of not giving up big plays, but they, weren't giving, but they were giving up high completion rate and all that fun stuff and that's just it's just completely different this year Darius Slay and James Bradbury both playing equally well once again on the outside TJ Edwards your guy makes the all pro team all pro first team and here's your completion percentage number they're the only team let's see what happens when we take out oh no I pressed the wrong way negated plays they have the lowest completion percentage allowed against in the league Lowest completion percentage against in the NFL. Did it work? Here it comes. Yeah, 58.3. They're the only team allowing under 60% completions so far this year. Yeah, they've been really good. Um, I, I, I think they're a very good defense, and I think they're actually a good matchup for the Cardinals as well. So I don't love this game for Arizona. Somebody in the chat, by the way, uh, Mohal or Mojal, says that if any ad read is going to have y'all in it, it really should be Western and Southern. <laughs> I think it's a pretty fair point. Fair point, well made. Can sprinkle that in. Can do that. Mm. Hey, y'all looking to uh, get some life insurance? Mm. We'll get there. We'll get there. Western and Southern's later. We'll also, later. hit the like button. Has anybody hit the like button? I mean, some people have, but not Just enough. 40. Yeah. Man. It's a tiny fraction of the people watching. I mean, you got to ask what the yeah. rest are doing. We get about, you know, an eighth of the people, whatever it is. All right. <clears throat> what else are you looking for in, in this game here? Um, I mean, anytime I'm, I'm continually interested in how Jalen Hurts is going to keep going. You know, this incredible start to the season. He was our first team all-pro quarterback for the first quarter of the year, quarter-ish. Um, and that's, like, he's the key to, every, to how, how good Philadelphia wants to be this year is dependent on Jalen Hurts. Everything they've done in the offseason was good. They've made the team significantly better on both sides of the ball. But it doesn't matter if Jalen Hurts is going to go back to being good, not great. But if Jalen Hurts keeps playing at this level, I don't even mean like maintaining first-team all-pro kind of level. If he's just in that vicinity, if he's one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL this year, then all of a sudden Philadelphia is right there amongst the Super Bowl contenders, not just teams that are going to make the playoffs and you know maybe could beat teams. They're actually like a favorite. I, I tweeted it out last night. Well, let me piggyback on that really quick. Jalen Hurts last year would have games where he was good. He had good games where he was good. But there was a lot of games where it felt like the pass game didn't do much for three quarters, and then they were in a comeback situation, and he would kind of you know bring them back a little bit, did it against the Chiefs, did it against the Bucs a little bit, against some good teams. 
but it felt very disjointed early in the game. I do feel like the missing piece there, though, is A.J. Brown, right? Like, if you have a disjointed, inconsistent passing attack, having a guy to go to on just, you know, hit A.J. Brown on the slant, you'll get, you'll pick up a first down. It also could go to, for 40 with his yards after the catch ability. I, I tweeted out last night, and it's not a new take for me, but I said, coming out of the draft, no player I'd rather have on night one of the draft than A.J. Brown, plus his contract. Yeah. I think every single team, including the Jaguars at one, the Lions at two, could not have made a better move than to get A.J. Brown. I'm not saying the Stafford trade before. Like Of the, of the players available on draft night, A.J. Brown and Hollywood Brown were both available because they were traded. And all the players that were drafted, A.J. Brown is the player it has been, that I would want. He has been the most valuable first-round pick that was spent this year. I agree. And listen, there's a few Cardinals fans coming at me like, oh, you know, Marquise Brown is right up there too. And I'm like, no, I don't. He's not having the same effect on the Cardinals offense that A.J. Brown is. I don't care what their yardage totals look like. The Eagles run the ball a ton and they they have been, they haven't even played football in the second half for two or three games because they've been up so much. A.J. Brown is just like Tyreek Hill. They are the two single most influential players on any teams this offseason so far through four weeks. Because the Eagles and Dolphins went from mid-tier offenses to top-tier offenses or bottom-tier offenses to top-tier offenses. So A.J. Brown, I'd say he's the biggest impact on Jalen Hurts' development. And again, we said, let's anticipate that. Let's expect, let's see if that happens. And so far it has. Agreed. So give me the Eagles. Yeah, same. All right, both going Eagles, five and a half. It's an interesting matchup, but it's also a 14-point spread. The Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> at the Buffalo Bills. I'm just saying, if Mitchell Trubisky was under center, do you think this is 14? Yeah. I don't think it's 14. I don't 14. think it got worse. I don't think the line gets worse with Pickett at quarterback. Like, if you asked me in a vacuum, I would agree. But I also don't think a Trubisky-led Steelers team is going to be a 14-point underdog at Buffalo. This is the biggest spread of the year so far, right? Yeah, I mean, this was this was like last year. This was Buffalo every week, Texans and Jets, and every time they played bottom tier caliber teams, they were almost fifteen point favorites every. Single I mean, I think time. it's also a reflection of Pittsburgh just lost to the Jets. You know, yeah, Trubisky or no, they I get it. They lost to a team that isn't great. Pickett's lost, not Trubisky's. QB well, wins. Change it. Change the game, man. Hmm. Advanced analytics here. I, it, yeah, it, it's a it's a big line for a, for a team like Pittsburgh, but a lot of that is just like legacy feelings. Like, how good is Pittsburgh really this season? Not great. You know, I do think they're different without T.J. Watt. If T.J. Watt's in there, yeah, and you know, Mink is playing at a high level. I know he's banged up. He's got a knee, but you know, I would just say, yeah, they're not as good without yeah. without their star edge rusher. So this is. This is the game that was always going to be the challenge for Kenny Pickett coming in at this kind of time of the season. It's like you get one game against the Jets, and the Jets are no – their defense is not abysmal anymore, you know? I mean, it's, the, it's not the ACC. Yeah. You know? So You're going to face good teams. The Jets have got some decent pass rushers. They've got some decent guys in the secondary as well. All of a sudden, like the Jets – it's not like last year's Jets, which would have been a great game to start any rookie against. Um, so it was a, a, you know, a significant team to start against, but – the next run of games is where, like, you're, that's a nightmare run of defenses you're going to face, starting with Buffalo, who have 
the best pass rush in the NFL. They rank, I think, third in pressure rate, despite blitzing by far the lowest amount of any team in the NFL. They blitz 8% of the time. They rush with four guys. Highest pass rush grade, 86.6. Pretty much every play, and they win pretty much every play. So all of a sudden, we're going to get a really good test of how much this Pittsburgh offensive line is actually decent at pass protection and how much of it has just been, you know, scheme, whatever. Like, like they're they, grading well right now. They're performing well, but... Yeah, they have gr- they faced a rush like this? They grade well. They are performing pretty well. They've given up a really low no- volume of pressure. The quarterback is not getting rid of the ball as quickly as Roethlisberger did the last two years. So it's not strictly a product of that. Now, the breakdown of those average times to throw is a little bit janky, which is where I think it does start to come back to, hey, the scheme is protecting this offensive line still. But, I mean, we're going to get an idea now of how good those guys can actually block players one-on-one because Buffalo is going to show up with the best pass rush in the NFL. And then you're also going to get to see what Kenny Pickett does when he's under a decent degree of pressure. Again, my, my biggest question for Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett was it last yesterday because I repeat myself a lot was it yesterday's show I said the same exact thing but I'll repeat it anyway is how much of it was the scheme when it comes to Big Ben and Mitchell Trubisky because we said yeah they're getting rid of the ball quickly Um, we had mentioned um, a guy that's a fan of our show that has is a part of another NFL podcast I always mention his name you said you should cut back on that Greg Greg it's Craig well done Greg said, "It feels." He made he just he made a good point one time. It felt like the Steelers had a, were building an offense around a team that has three shifty slot receivers, when they really have two big body downfield yeah. threats plus Deontay Johnson, who's yeah. one of the best route runners in the NFL. Is that the scheme, or was it the fact that Big Ben was old? Trubisky doesn't take high value throws, and he's throwing these low percentage throws left and right, um, or lo, either low percentage down the field or high percentage low value throws." Are there higher value throws that are baked into this offensive system that Kenny Pickett's going to unlock somehow? In a tiny sample size, throws a seam to Pat Fryermuth, and you know he made some plays, right? He's going to he's going to at least give George Pickens opportunities. He's mm. going to give Chase Claypool opportunities. And last year I said if Big Ben's going to go out with a bang, even if he can't throw the ball downfield accurately, like just chuck it up, just chuck it up because you got some guys who can win every now and again, and you'll stumble into forty points every now and then. Like you'll you'll stumble into some good offense. Yeah, Pickett might have that. Now that is a boomer bust style if you play like that. Like you're gonna have one week where the Steelers look great, another week all that you know he throws four picks or something like that. But I'm curious to see if Pickett brings some of that energy to the offense, which means this can go either way. Like they could get absolutely annihilated, yeah, or it could be you know, like 30 to 24 or something like that. It's like, oh, the Steelers hung tough. Good job, Kenny Pickett. You were never going to win against Buffalo, but you hung tough. You showed something for the Steelers. I could see it going either way there. But yeah. I think, the, I mean, the Bills are going to win. I anticipate the Bills winning. Yes. Um, the Steelers did beat the Bills week one last year, mm-hmm. uh, much like the Steelers kind of, you know, took it to the Bengals in the uh, week one game this year. But I don't see that happening again. So I like Buffalo. 14's a lot, though, because I just painted two different pictures of <laughs> – you know, this volatile Kenny Pickett, high-energy, good game mm. that kind of keeps them close and gives Pittsburgh fans some hope. Yeah, 14 is a lot of points. Um, but there's a lot of ways that this could go south in a hurry for Pittsburgh. The, the only real way that they avoid getting their ass kicked, I think, is if 
Kenny Pickett heaves the ball up a few times and his receivers end up coming down with it. Which yeah, and Josh entirely, Allen heaves it to the other team, you know, heaves it yeah, to Buffalo a few times. Which is entirely possible. I mean, to Pittsburgh. But um, I, it really needs to be kind of Pickens. Like, uh, Deontay Johnson has made some spectacular catches, but is not really a contested catch kind of monster or a guy that's going to go up and win passes that he shouldn't necessarily. And as much as Chase Claypool should be that guy, he hasn't really been. It's like he's the classic can do, but yeah. not, doesn't do it enough guy, right? Exactly. Like if you just look at Claypool's highlights, you'd be like, just throw this guy the ball, but it's, you don't see all the times he's failed. And also, it's like remember he hit the ground running so so well as a rookie. It's he like did. wow, this guy we we stole him in the mid rounds. He's a, another case of Pittsburgh finding wide receivers from everywhere, and the rest of the draft missed. And then the longer his career progresses, you're like, no, nah, maybe he was actually drafted where he should have been. This is <laughs> as much as the good things are there. There's a reason that he isn't as good as everybody else. But it's a good trio, man. It's a good trio plus Fryermuth, man. It's a good group. If we were, we've been lauding the Cowboys for a couple of years for having Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and C.D. Lamb. I, I don't think plus uh, Dalton Schultz in the middle. I don't think they're at that level necessarily. But they're clo- I think they can be close. There's a consistency issue with Claypool. Deontay Johnson gets the drops every now and again, but. They have guys who can get open, guys who can win down the field, and a tight end who can win in the middle. That should create good offense. And I think Pittsburgh will do more of that with Pickett, but then we'll have some rookie games in there where Pickett looks not so good. I'm going to say Pittsburgh does it. I think they're just going to feed off rookie energy and and, and keep it tight against a Super Bowl contender. When was the last time Pittsburgh lost by 14? Did they against... um, Minnesota last year on Thursday. They lost by exactly fourteen in week three last year against the Bengals, ten to twenty-four. That was the four. Yeah, it could have been. Could have been closer if Big Ben didn't check down on fourth and ten. Minnesota was only uh, eight points. Oh, there we go. Minnesota let them back in. I forgot. Kansas City gave them an absolute whooping. Yeah, Kansas City whooped them in the thirty-six ten. No, week sixteen. The oh, playoffs week sixteen and the playoffs. The playoffs was also an ass kicking. It was twenty-one points. So the Chiefs twice. But other than that. It's back to week three. Yeah, so give me uh, give me Pittsburgh to keep it close-ish, as in like within two scores. No, I'm going, I think, Buffalo cover, even though it's two touchdowns. All right. Let's go. Uh... Hey, y'all. PFF NFL Podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance – Investment and retirement solutions help you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. There's a website right there on the YouTube channel. Go check it out, westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Jets and Dolphins. Uh, in, in New York, or New Jersey, Dolphins at the Jets. The Dolphins are favored by three. Mm-hmm. Don't make faces at me. No, not. Okay. What are you looking for in this one? So, Zach Wilson last week, under pressure, 37.5% of the time against Pittsburgh. Blitz, a little over 25% of the time. I would imagine both of those numbers go up this week. And that feels bad for the Jets. He's already... The, the biggest concern we had with Zach Wilson last year, at least mine, that I've said a bunch, was how slow his time to throw was right to start his start from snap to the end of the play and once again last week 3.31 for a non-scrambler right the other guys 
that are really high this week this year in time to throw justin fields daniel jones lamar jackson marcus mariota jalen hurts jacoby Brissett, justin herbert all those guys have some extend the play ability they that's a big part of their game it's what they do it's really not a part of wilson's game mm-hmm. it's not he has some plays i mean he's got some good outside of the pocket plays it's just it's not nearly as part of his game the way it has been for daniel jones lamar mariota whatever so he's got to get rid of the ball quicker you yeah. have to do it uh miami are one of the most blitz happy teams in the nfl they might be back to being the most blitz happy after dialing it down for uh lamar i haven't i haven't got this week's numbers uh to hand zach wilson for his career against the blitz no touchdowns three interceptions a completion percentage of 43.2 percent 4.7 yards per attempt a passer rating of 47.5 and a pff grade of 42. that's against the blitz yeah it's not good no did wilson turn a corner though second half man 82 passing grade in the second half is is that just progression he was getting the rust off and he's turned it around if he turned the corner he turned it on like the last drive last drive yeah Yeah, i guess it's possible but feels unlikely so as much as i'm complaining about him getting rid of the ball quicker and i know that's this year's sample he that is a also a function of of having the receivers who get open and as you rely on Garrett Wilson a little bit more and I think Wilson has a chance to you know emerge as the true one with and Corey Davis slots in as the two where he should be and you have Elijah Moore and all that stuff that could make you know help him get rid of the ball quicker do you just chalk it up to a little uh, first game rust even though it looked a lot like last year <laughs> I mean I think it's going to be a work in progress like I, we're pretty negative about Zach Wilson overall um, there was obviously a lot of talent like we liked him coming out it's just that the things he's been struggling at are pretty bad things for a young quarterback to be dealing with. And this is a particularly bad matchup to be dealing with those things. So, yeah, look, he's, I think he's going to be able to make some plays and get uh, Garrett Wilson in particular the ball. But yeah. I think he's going to be under pressure upwards of 40% of the time. I think he's going to be blitzed to high heaven. Like, it's, it's going to be rough. Um, we should have said at the top, Teddy Bridgewater's getting the start for the Dolphins over Tua. Mm-hmm. Um, Tua's not going, I, I assume he's not going through your traditional concussion protocol because he had two concussions in four days. I mean, they immediately ruled him out of this game. They ruled him out already. Like back when right. that happened. And you had talked about, we had talked about this a little bit on the daily and on this show that it's like a, it's not just like a seven day, go through some tests, especially when you have two in a short amount of time we really could be looking at three or four weeks and, and them being really cautious. I mean, Chris, Chris Nowinski, who we mentioned on the daily, the, the sort of advocate, I guess, for concussion health and CTE and all this kind of stuff. Um, I mean, he was saying, honestly, given what happened to him, they should shut him down for the season. Now, they won't because this is the NFL. But that, like, that's the severity of the kind of thing we're talking about. And that's the kind of thing that might happen in other sports that deal with this. That, like, that's the, the thing that the Dolphins now have to juggle is, okay, we've, we've kind of admitted that we screwed this whole process up, right? We fired the doctor that was involved. And we're changing the concussion protocols to make sure that this can't happen. So with that in mind, and what we've sort of determined has happened, i.e., probably two concussions in pretty rapid order they're, they're kind of backed into a corner in terms of 
Ah, but he's good now. You know, maybe we sat him out that game, but now we can come back. I, that's, that's tough. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what the correct answer to that is because I don't think anybody knows what the correct time to come back from that kind of thing is. I mean, some experts, I was like, uh, Ollie Connolly had a good podcast with, I forget her name, but she's a, an expert in this field in CTE research and all this kind of stuff. And she was saying that you can definitely be dealing with effects of a concussion for up to 28 days after the hit now that you know that is what you're talking about that's several weeks out and that's that's like a baseline of what we're talking about not the rapid you know two subsequent or two sequential but then the question is are you just waiting to not have effects or are you waiting for the ideal time that you're not more susceptible to the next one i don't know problem is nobody knows what that is i don't know if you're more susceptible to the next concussion but it's when you get the next concussion it's more dangerous i believe i, I think that was what the yeah what the research but, has brought out not that you're more likely to get one but if you do they do get progressively worse but the problem now that they have is nobody really knows what the time scale for actually returning from something like this should yeah. be it's like we know we can determine when they stop getting symptoms we can determine roughly when we think the brain is healed from that hit but we don't know if the next if there's any difference whatsoever between that line and like a month later or two months later or whatever and that's the tricky situation the dolphins now find themselves in because of what happened um say what you want about the nfl though they they try to read public sentiment and then make the public happy (laughs) they try to (laughs) and you're this is a creditable thing in your eyes oh no i'm just i'm just giving the information okay so the information at hand to me is the public the public outcry was Tua never should have been out there and they're gonna come in and say okay let's quick fire a doctor yeah we'll fire a doctor and like keep Tua out for a few weeks just to you know let this thing blow over is what i'm saying but again like i think that's a very difficult thing to now pluck out of the sky is when's he supposed to come back i don't know but teddy's in this week yeah um it's to me this is this is like the more um first off having teddy bridgewater or jacoby Brissett as your backup quarterback great is really valuable particularly in this offense um we've said jacoby Brissett's the best backup quarterback in the league i think unless teddy bridgewater is not starting i mean teddy bridgewater i think is still probably a i mean he's still a top 32 starter in, in a world where, I mean, no offense to Zach Wilson, Teddy Bridgewater is a better starter than Zach Wilson right now. Zach Wilson is there because there's the hope he can be something more. So is Jacoby right now. Yeah, Jacoby is too. So the Dolphins have the advantage at quarterback. And, and again, I think we have, even the other day, I think Bridgewater hit, he hit Tyreek with a deep ball, which was beautiful. Um, Tyreek Hill is a deep ball, cheap code for quarterbacks. We've seen him help Alex Smith lead the league. We've seen what he's done with Mahomes. Not that Mahomes isn't good without him. We know that. But we've seen what he's done with Tua. And I don't think this changes the Dolphins' offense. You know, it's still going to be it's going to be cooking with, with Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill. So I think the Dolphins will, will have big plays that they'll be able to create once again. They'll give Zach Wilson some problems. But the Jets are better. I mean, this is it's not last year's Jets. They have players. You've got pass rushers you've got sauce gardner and dj reed i am interested to see those matchups against these dolphins receivers those will be good no i i think this is a fascinating matchup because of that can tyreek hill essentially on his own but he also has Jalen waddle can he have the same impact on teddy bridgewater that he had on alex smith which is essentially to manufacture aggression out of a pathologically conservative quarterback 
though Teddy and Alex Smith are very similar in that regard. Those guys do not like pushing the ball deep down the field unless they know for a fact it's going to be wide the hell open and there's no risk attached to it. Um, when Alex Smith had Tyreek Hill that year in Kansas City, that dude was just looking up, oh, single coverage, boom, immediate auto throw deep. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, in the limited sample size we saw in that game, had an average depth of target over 10 yards. That's massive for Teddy. That's four yards nor- higher than you would normally expect to see from him. So that, I think, is going to be an interesting element. Um, and then the other part is DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner have been playing really well. DJ Reed right now has given up 44.4% of catches into his coverage, a passer rating of 32.9. Sauce Gardner looks great. I am also just incredibly fascinated to see just the uh, the physical, the, just the visual of Sauce Gardner's running Sauce style trying to cover Tyreek Hill. <laughs> Tyree. that, that feels like just a hysterical matchup from a physical standpoint. Was um, it? Early in Tyreek's career, he, when he went head-to-head with Jalen Ramsey, there was like a play where I think Ramsey got hands on him and like stoned him at the line mm. of scrimmage. And then there was one where Tyreek just yeah, you know, that ghosted was... him, right? Like right past him. You might be able to see some of that in a one-on-one matchup here. I just, the, the visual of Sauce trying to run with Tyreek Hill feels really funny. All right, so I, I, I like this matchup. I like Miami. I think I like Miami here. The one other thing I'll say is Miami and Mike McDaniel still scheming it up pretty well. And as I've said with Salah's defense with the Jets, there's there's just been a few too many of those coverage busts. And I think when you're talking about an offense that has really good route combos and speed receivers that you have to account for, I think they're going to create those open throws and Teddy's going to take advantage. Unless you get Quinn and Williams and Carl Lawson and some of those pass rushers to really take over. But uh, I like the Dolphins here, man. I think they're the same... I think they're the same team. No Tua hate here, but they're the same team, I think, with Teddy Bridgewater and, and Tua. We'll see. All right, Las Vegas Raiders at the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs by seven. This is Monday night football. I'm also taking Miami, if that wasn't clear. Oh, I read the document, and then in my head was like, oh, yeah, you already said it. Sorry. Do you have anything else on that while you're taking no, no, Miami? No, no, just taking Miami. The my end. apologies. Uh, Raiders, Chiefs. Mm. Seven points. Raiders are one and three. Chiefs are three and one. Is this a blowout? God, it feels like it might be. The The Raiders' defense against Mahomes is the obvious thing that everyone's going to be talking about, particularly given how that matchup went in two games last year, albeit with you know different uh, setup. But I actually think the opposite side of this is why it might end up being a beatdown. The uh, kind of stumbling Raiders' offense that just isn't together and doesn't seem to have any answers to anything right now going up against the Spagnolo Spags, defense and the kind of problems that they can cause through mixing it up and moving guys around all those kinds of things that just feels like a bad matchup and if the Raiders can't score in this game how are they going to hang with the Chiefs I I would just suggest don't completely overrate last year last year was a very narrative driven it was like the narrative just occurred on the field which was the Chiefs were struggling with certain coverages the Raiders don't run those coverages they ran what they do and the Chiefs crushed them back to two games but the previous year you had the Raiders I mean the the Chiefs pretty much lost in 2020 they lost one regular season game until week 17 when they lost to the Chargers I think they were sitting everybody or whatever it was the Chiefs were basically a 15 and one team with their only loss coming to the Raiders Mm -hmm. and it wasn't but in the Raiders I mean they gave up over 30 points uh, in that game and then they and then the second game was Chiefs 35 31 over the Raiders 
but the Raiders just played them tough, and it wasn't. They had they they had enough. They gave up a lot of points. Yeah, but they did enough against Mahomes to kind of like force him into a couple mistakes and sack him a few times and all that stuff. Like they played him tough, but they won the game because Carr just came out of his shell and was like, "I got to go head to head with this offense. I got to throw the ball deep." And in that, to me, that's the the multi year answer here. It's not just oh, last year the Raiders had no chance. They do have a chance, but it, it's Carr throwing the ball down the field. Mac Hollins going off. Now, Devontae and Waller and all these guys taking advantage of him. This has to be the game where the Raiders go super aggressive, put the ball in Carr's hands, and he plays better. Yeah, but that's kind of my point is that, okay, they, they were good against the Chiefs in a couple of games two years ago, but that required scoring 30-plus points both times. Right now, this offense can barely function. Fair and, point. Like, okay, it can happen. Like, sure. The, we've been saying that the sum of the parts of this offense is light years different from what we're seeing right now. So I guess at any given moment, there could be a like a, a switch flipped and all of a sudden the Raiders are the best offense in the NFL or one of them. But until that happens, I don't think you can assume it's like this game. This is the game it happens in. All of a sudden, everyone's going to remember they're actually really good players and start playing amazingly together. Until we see that, you probably have to assume that this Raiders offense is going to continue to sputter, particularly against the Spags defense. And if they do, I, can they stop Kansas City hanging 30 on them? Maybe not. No. Yeah. I mean, I like the Chiefs a lot in this one. Are we, um, we have one of our Raiders apologists always making Raiders apologies in the, uh, in the comments or whatever. But across the league, are we underrating the move to new systems, whether it's Derek Carr with Josh McDaniels or Russell Wilson with, with, with Nathaniel Hackett, uh, even Carson Wentz and Washington, with guys that have been around the league for a while. It's different from, you know, here's this rookie or whatever it is, or this journeyman backup. We're talking Russ has been, not in the same system, but at least in the same world for a while. Derek Carr has been with Gruden for a few years in his system. McDaniels is different, man. He's very different. Are we underrating that transition period? Kind of like Brady going to the box, Peyton going to the Broncos. They had, you know, some growing pains in there. Are we underrating that when it comes to, say, Derek Carr in this situation? Yes. Okay. I think generally that's a true statement. Um, I think the <laughs> the late Dr. Eric Eager. Uh, Rest in peace. Right. He, I think, is. He's, Eric is still alive. Yes. Yeah. He's done a lot of research in terms of the impact that simply changing offensive coordinators or systems you know will have and not not having the continuity year to year is a major thing so when you hear people make excuses for quarterbacks you're like well he's had six different systems in seven years or whatever that's a, like it's a real thing yeah if, if the difference between that and having the same system for three straight years is a major obstacle now it's not necessarily one that they can't overcome and we've seen constantly the players can do that but it is a real thing and particularly if you're bringing in a whole new system you know as a as a coach to a different team and I think the one extra element there is that McDaniels comes from an offense that isn't connected to other offenses like this the sort of root of that system is different it's not like a Shanahan offense where even the offshoot like the Shanahan offense and the McVeigh offense are connected by a common ancestor you know so even if you even if you come from one system to another, technically it's a completely different offense, but it's close enough that you can get by. It's sort of like Portuguese and Spanish are two completely different languages, but there's a common enough ancestor that you can 
it won't take you that long to get from one to the other, you know? Mm-hmm. The McDaniels offense is not like that. That's a completely different ancestor. That's like, is it Finnish, the one language that doesn't bear any resemblance to anything else? It's not, it's like a unique, doesn't have a common ancestor. It might be. I'm not great at the... Uh, the, the I know the romantic languages are... They're all connected, yeah. yeah. But I think it's either Finnish or Hungarian, or one of those, it's like a completely different... It doesn't. It's not connected to other languages. It's just its own thing. Josh McDaniel's playbook is in Hungarian. Yeah, is what you you're go. saying. Live Ben Stockwell fact checking me again. It is Finnish and Hungarian. So I got it. There we go. So, so McDaniel's, Josh McDaniel's is the, bringing a Finnish or Hungarian Finnish offense. offense to yeah. the table. Yeah, yeah. Um, I won't go off on any tangents. Here's a here's a number. So here's the other question I have. Right, I do believe. Yeah. I, I believe that the Raiders are at their best when Derek Carr is like YOLO balling. It's not YOLOs, but it's, it's aggressiveness, right? I've said this many times. The Raiders have won one game right now. It was last week. Josh Jacobs goes off against the Broncos. Our, our friend Mike Kliss, as he said, maybe the Raiders just, they own the Broncos. Maybe it's a matchup thing. Is that what McDaniels is feeling right now, though, right? Carr, Carr wasn't bad against the Titans the week before, but they couldn't put points on the board. There have been points in McDaniel's run, even with the Patriots, where they they changed, right? They were three wide, they were two tight ends, they were pass heavy, they were run heavy. Is he going to feel that and say, okay, as other teams have tried against the Chiefs, we're going to play keep away and we're going to run the ball and it's going to be, we have to run through Josh Jacobs. We're not going to force to Devontae Adams or anything like that. And if the Raiders do that, here's the number that stands out to me that's interesting. We separate run blocking from rushing, from what the runner does. The Raiders have the number two rushing grade, run grade. You know, they're running backs, mm-hmm. essentially. Number two in the NFL, despite having the fourth lowest run blocking grade. So they're essentially having success on the ground because of their running backs over the run blocking, which I think is unsustainable. And I think if you start to lean into that, if you're the Raiders, it could go sour. And if it feels like that might be what they try. It's going to be like, oh, run, run, pass, run, run, pass. And if it works, if you keep getting the four, keep getting the four, you do keep Mahomes off the field a little bit. Yeah. But when you don't, it becomes blowout territory. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that a little bit more than uh, the Raiders building on last week's good game. The concern with that is, number one, um, almost everybody that's attempted that against Kansas City, it hasn't worked. The only team I think that actually should be able to win that way is Baltimore. And even Baltimore took how many times did they lose in a run before they finally got one where it worked and even then it didn't work in that way like it worked because Lamar just actually had a great game passing and that's how they won so that theory I I think I like as an abstract concept I think it should make sense against Kansas City but all of the evidence so far suggests it doesn't yeah and then the other problem is right now Kansas City has the third best defense in the NFL in yards per attempt allowed like 3.4 yards per carry so much better than they've been in the which past. is just enough that if you ran it four times and got that average you would keep moving the chains but it doesn't give you an awful lot of wiggle room I don't think that's how uh I don't think that's how it works I don't either uh, but I'm just saying mathematically it checks out you know if you're looking at that and going well can we can we keep running the ball every down yeah. and move the chains? The answer is yes. It's just it's it's a funny thing that you know teams always go back and you know, like the Raiders this week are going to go back to the Colts game and say how do they beat the Chiefs by a sequence of freaky plays? But they're also going to look at it and be like they picked up four. They picked up four. It's one of those games where if you're a Chiefs fan and you're you're so frustrated in your defense watching the Colts, not that they're bad, it's like, oh, you just gave up four. You just gave up a third and four, a uh, five-yard completion on third and four. You just gave up an eight-yard completion, eight completion on third and seven. 
They're picking up four to pop, four to pop, four to pop. It's an easy thing for an offensive team to like chase because it's worked once in a long while. But when it doesn't work, you're in blowout territory. And I think we're leaning more toward that. The Raiders' best chance is A.J. Cole the third. It's one of the best punters in the NFL. If he somehow drops a whole bunch right on Sky Moore and just have him like butterfingers him away, two or three of those, they're right in this game. How much did we put on your uh, Sky Moore's going to lead the team in receiving yards bet? Yeah, it's not going well so far. No. Is that Dude, a... Amongst wide receivers. It's not quite as dumb as you made it. No, down. amongst wide receivers. Yeah. I picked Juju. You picked Sky Moore. Yeah. It's not the Sky Moore, the futures on Sky Moore are not looking great. That being said, like, what is the, well, who's the leader right now? I don't know. I don't have it in front of me. 224 yards from Juju. What's it, 50 from uh, Sky? 61. 61. But on three catches, that yard, yards per reception figures off the charts. If he just gets a few more passes thrown Sky Moore's way. averaging 20 per reception. What I would do is give him more receptions, hmm. and you'll create those 20-yard plays. This is, the, this is the argument I would make. Who are you taking in this one? The Chiefs. Also, taking the Chiefs, covering the seven. Monday night football. We'll see. Weird stuff could happen. It's also in Kansas City. Feels like a one-and-four start here for the, for the Raiders. Yeah. All right, we're halfway through. Dallas Cowboys at the Los Angeles Rams. We got the Rams by five and a half. Mm-hmm. And so this is a good example of like Vegas doesn't buy into the feels, right? The feels for the Rams right now after getting whooped on Monday Night Football, 24 to nine against the 49ers. This is where Vegas doesn't buy into the last thing that you saw. Well, you see. Or that. the thing that, the, or the matchup driven part of it where yeah. the 49ers and Rams are just a, seem to be a bad matchup for the Rams five yeah. and a half is a lot of points man it is so that part you're right but the line did move a couple of points after that Monday night football game like that game yeah made the, the line shift yeah I'm not saying you completely ignore amount. it um it, it, again you know if you're just looking at matchups you're gonna say Dallas's defense has been really good this year they're led by Micah Parsons in particular but Demarcus Lawrence and they're rushing the passer even um Dante Fowler is doing, you know, they've gotten after the quarterback at a, at a high rate this year in Dallas. And you're looking at the Rams offensive line, the worst pass blocking grade in the NFL. Mm-hmm. It could be another rough one for the Rams offensively. Yeah. At the same time, I think the Rams defense is, remains very good. They have a rough matchup against the Niners. It's not like they got, I mean, they gave up 17 points against the Niners offense. And one was a freak play by Debo Samuel. Rams' defense is really good going, going up against Cooper Rush and the Cowboys. Yeah, sort of. Um, sort I, of. So I, I, Tell me more. Well, the meme guy was mocking me because every week I'm like, good. how is Aaron Donald going to affect this game? You know? yeah, and Aaron should. Donald was basically anonymous on Monday night against the You should 49ers. lean into the Aaron Donald takes. Well, so I was like, all right, he is only, you know, has a good PFF grade right now. He's like well below. His, it would be his worst year in the NFL, I think, right now if his grade held for the rest of the year. He's, quote-unquote, only got 16 pressures. He's only got two sacks, you know? He has been relatively anonymous. And in that 49ers game, he didn't do an awful lot at all. One play where they left him completely unblocked by mistake and one play where he busted through in a run play and, and made a tackle for loss. But So I was like, all right, well, let's go look at the tape and figure out what is happening to Aaron Donald that he isn't wrecking the game the way he usually is. Like, is he... Remember, we've talked before about how his entire life right now is tape study to try and identify when he's going to get a one-on-one so that he can win because the rest of the time it's like he's just being taken out of the game. And the lengths 
that the Rams defense is going to to try to get Donald away from double teams is absurd. Like, there was a play in that game. Well, the first play, Donald just goes in unblocked. It's like, well, that was not the plan yeah. by the Niners. One but of the first plays. He genuinely is being double or triple teamed basically every single play. It's madness when you look at what's happening to this poor guy. They lined him up as like an off-the-ball linebacker and gave him like a running start at the line to try and confuse him at one point. He's lining up as like a wide nine on a bunch of plays to try and give him one-on-one with the tackle. Even then, they still find his way, and he just gets the double team with the guard. Plus, look, Aaron Donald is amazing. I think he's the best player in the NFL regardless of position. Do you understand the kind of speed and burst off the line you need to be able to get pressure from a wide nine alignment? Donald is amazing. He isn't that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's so like, he was like, there was a play where he I was mean, I would, up. Yeah, I would want him to be doing that all the time. Well outside the tight end as a wide nine to try and get. It's like, come on. That's just not going to work. I understand that might be the chance he has of getting one-on-one, but he's not going to get there in time. Um they occasionally gave him one-on-one, but it was usually on the plays where they were running like a quick screen. So he'd like, the poor guy was like, you know when you sort of, you, uh, you tease a dog with a ball, you know? It's like, <laughs> and you throw it and you don't. And the dog like runs away. It's like, I do that with my kids. Yeah, where, where'd the ball go? Yeah. That was like Aaron Donald when they gave him a one-on-one. He's like, bust, immediate swim move into the backfield. Where, where, where's the ball? Uh, it's over there with Debo. Gone. Like Debo's got it and he's going for 20 yards, unlucky. That's, that was what was happening to Donald. So, the upshot of this is Aaron Donald is still freaking amazing. He is being eliminated from the games by like double and triple teams. The Rams, I don't think, are helping by the way they're moving him around because I think actually it's putting him in positions where he's just not as effective, like why nine trying to, you know. And then the last element is what it does, I think, is raise the question of like what the hell are the rest of the defense doing? If Aaron Donald has taken three guys on a play, where is everybody else? Why are you not winning one-on-one against other people, if not, like, two-on-one? It, like, that's the question to me, is not why is Aaron Donald relatively anonymous right now. It's where the hell is everybody else? Well, that's, you know, who else has a, who else has a pass rush grade? They've been, they've been blitzing Bobby Wagner a little bit more. I think that was always going to be a little part of the game plan this year. 34 blitzes in four games. That's, like, on the high end for a linebacker. Nothing crazy. So I think they knew coming in, like they're going to have to use Bobby Wagner a little bit more. Jalen Ramsey's blitzed 10, 10 times. That's not a, it's not a ton, but I think they knew, hey, we don't have Vaughn Miller. And Leonard Floyd, say what you want about Leonard Floyd and his sack totals and all that stuff through the years, he's been a good, not great pass rusher who has had a lot of sacks yeah. over the last couple of years. And he's even taken a step back. He has been, I mean, Leonard Floyd's been one of the most consistent by our numbers consistent players in the NFL over the last few years pass rush grades in the 60s over the last three years it jumped up to 75 last year that was his best he's down under 60 right now no sacks three QB hits eight total pressures Leonard Floyd's not doing the job and they and Greg Gaines is not a good pass rusher you know those are the other two guys that have a, a a lot of pass rush opportunities so they're just not built you know they're not built essentially to uh, to get after the quarterback or, or they're not getting the, the guys to step up to get to the quarterback beyond Aaron Donald so that's part of the issue here the other three with the Rams defensive linemen that have gotten the most pass rushing snaps for the Rams this season Leonard Floyd Greg Gaines um, and Terrell Lewis those guys all have PFF pass rushing grades in the 50s none of them uh, so uh, yeah none of them right have gotten on a, on a pure production standpoint Donald 
is down a little bit this year. He has 16 pressures. The next few guys on the on the team, Leonard Floyd has eight. Greg Gaines has four. Justin Hollins has three. That's 15. The, the next yeah. three guys have fewer pa- pressures than just Aaron Donald himself. He's still double anybody on the team, and he's being double and triple teamed out of the games. Like, somebody else on this Rams defensive front needs to step up because Donald has taken three guys out of the play. So that's part of the issue with the Rams right now. But you talk about stars and scrubs with the Rams, three guys with, you know, blue grades, right? Dark green to blue grades. It is Aaron Donald. It is Bobby Wagner. It is Jalen Ramsey. They, the, the stars are playing like stars. Uh, Ramsey had the three pass breakups, what, two weeks ago? He's got four on the season. All of those guys are playing well. Ernest Jones playing well at linebacker, but they need help, especially when it comes to the trenches. Yeah. Um, I think Dallas, as much as we just talked about that whole Aaron Donald dynamic, Dallas's biggest weakness on the offensive line is left guard. If it's not left guard, it's center. Like, they have a weakness on the interior that can be attacked. It's going to be a challenge for them to do what the 49ers did and dedicate that much resource to Aaron Donald. So a lot, of, a lot of trench talk in this one. Yeah, that'll help. And then I think the fascinating thing is the other side, where all of a sudden the Rams' offensive line, which is in pieces right now, has to try and block Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence. My statistical nugget for this game, Joseph Noteboom, through four weeks, has given up 20 pressures. Andrew Whitworth, through the Super Bowl, gave up 20 pressures last year. It's a little different. So he's already tied Whitworth for the amount of pressures given up. And as I, I mentioned, five of those are sacks, which again, I don't, I don't care. Sack, the, the difference in a sack versus a hit or hurries on the quarterback and other stuff. Well, sometimes, but there's a, like it, sometimes. I mean, if you get if you get beaten really, really quickly, yes, it is bad. But I'm saying, all I'm saying is that we capture that in the grade, not the stats. It's yeah. better captured in the grade. And the no boom grades that stand out when he faced the two elite edge rushers week one. A lot of Vaughn, week four, a lot of Nick Bosa. Those grades were in the 40s. Mm-hmm. When he's playing Atlanta, that doesn't have good path, does not have good edge rushers. When he played at Arizona, I mean, those are, th- those two teams have two of the worst edge rush situations in the NFL. No booms grades in the 70s and 80s. So against good, he's got 16 of those 20 pressures against the tough competition. We're facing tough competition this week against the Cowboys. That's a concern. Yes. The revolving door on the interior with the injuries and all that stuff, that's a concern with the Rams. I'll also say this, Micah Parsons last week, I went back to watch, like, why did he only have a handful of pressures? Um, First off, Washington did give him a lot of attention, right? So two things are true. Washington gave him a lot of attention. He was chipped, and there was help, and, you know, left guard Andrew Norwell was keeping an eye on him. And then, but then when he was one-on-one with Charles Leno, Charles Leno did great. He did a fantastic job against Parsons. Like, he was attacking him differently. It It was very impressive. So this is what Parsons has to deal with now. Um, it's going to be tough to be a six, seven, eight pressure a game guy with more attention, different blocking schemes, and tackles even just on one-on-ones attacking him differently. I think the tackles that have been more proactive and going to get Parsons a little bit more like Leno did are having some success. The guys that have been passive, he has owned. So um, that is what I'm looking at is how, how much are teams going to adjust to Parsons here? So I think, I think Dallas's defense matches up really well with the Rams. I think their front can cause them all kinds of problems. What really concerns me about this game is, so I think, I think that part is huge. I think Dallas is actually a really good matchup there, and that would lead me to taking Dallas. The issue is, like, you're still starting Cooper Rush, right? And like, okay, Cooper Rush has been doing 
well relative to expectations. And he had one really good game in there against the Giants, who, you know, are the Giants. Um, the idea... Three and one. Yes. There are people out there that think that Dallas should go with Cooper Rush when Dak gets back, which is just... They don't really believe it. No, they do. They might be saying it, but they don't really they, believe it. They believe it. it. Like, I asked the question, like, what is this madness that people are saying? And people are like, oh... You know, nobody noticed that Dak hasn't been playing well dating back to last year. What does he do better than Cooper Rush right now? Jerry went with a hot hand when Dak Prescott got the job over Tony Romo. Why won't he do it again? All this stuff. What does he do better? Everything. Quarterbacking. Yeah. Um, So the good game against the Giants, great. But Cooper Rush right now, the stats look very good. He's got four touchdowns. He's got no interceptions. Um, He's got a passer rating of 95.9. But in two of the last three games, he's had two turnover-worthy plays. That kind of luck doesn't sustain for any period You're of time. Me into it. You're talking me into it. Like, if the Rams get a couple of turnover-worthy plays by Cooper Rush, they're probably going to get a turnover out of that, and that's, that's a big problem for Dallas. Man, I think it's low scoring. I think it's going to be low scoring. It's a battle. I want to lean Dallas. I just think it's going to be close. Five and a half feels rich for a team that is... Yeah. I hate this really matchup. struggling rushing the passer against a Dallas team that number two pass rush grade against worst pass blocking grade. I, I got to go Dallas here, even though the, the Cooper rush thing makes me want to. I know not bet on him. I I hate this matchup for Dallas. I think it's a, or for the Rams rather. I think it's yeah. a horrible matchup for that offense. Um, because it just feels like it should be a three point or four point. Like it shouldn't be five and a half. No, um, the one element that I think helps the Rams is you know cooper cooper cup is effectively their only good offensive weapon right now he is going up naturally against the weakest member of the dallas secondary in uh, jordan lewis he's the guy that covers the slot primarily for them so that i think is an element that at least goes in their favor to the rams i'm flipping back to the rams i think this is a really tough one to pick it the other part of it is I, i try to reiterate this every time every year because we get so caught up in narrative street and all that stuff Every Super Bowl winner, every really good team goes through bad. They have bad games. They have bad stretches. And it's important, I think, as analysts not to overreact to those. If we had, we would have said the Rams are cooked yeah. three times last year. We would have said the Bucks are cooked in 2020. And the one year that the Chiefs actually won it was probably their most uncomfortable season for their fans. I also refuse, A Mahomes injury and games where they didn't look good and they won the Super Bowl. I also year. refuse to believe that Cooper Cup is going to go undefeated as a starter with... Cooper Rush. Damn it. Cooper Rush yeah. is going to go undefeated as a starter while Dak Prescott is on the shelf. I just, that's not going to happen. It can't happen. So, therefore, the Rams will win and just about covered the five and a half. Yeah, where's the, uh, where's the ginger talent go this week? It's, it's dispersed. Yeah, well, it's it was... not concentrated in two games. It's in three. Yeah. So, that's a big question. It's a good question. I don't think it's going to be in L.A. I think it's going to be elsewhere. Nolens. It's going to okay. be in Nolens. I mean, L.A. is a very unpleasant... Uh, the, the, What's the word? Place in for? general? <laughs> no, it is, yeah. The weather environment for ginger people, you know? A lot of heat. A lot of sunshine. That doesn't go well with the ginger complexion, you know? Pasty skin and the, with the ginger hair. It's... Speaking of gingers, Carson Wentz in the, in the Washington Commanders. I thought you were transitioning into an ad read. I was like, wow. What are we? What are we we got, should. We what should are have something this week. We should have something. Ginger ale or something like that. Uh, Washington Commanders getting one and a half at home against the Tennessee Titans. What are you looking for in this one? Um, so the Titans right now, their defense is allowing the highest passer rating in the NFL by a pretty big margin. 
to opposing quarterbacks. Um, some of that is a product of who they face. On the other hand, they've also faced Daniel Jones and the Giants. So the three and one Giants, you know. Thank you. <laughs> juggernaut in the NFC. But it feels like a pretty good get-right spot for Carson Wentz and Washington. Now, if they can't get right in this game, I think you need to start writing the obituary for this team and figuring out how they get out of the Carson Wentz thing, which, you know, was not an unreasonable... Uh, it was a pretty high chance that was going to be a thing anyway. But this is where it starts if they can't function as an offense. I'm trying to get some uh, big-name guests for next week. Yeah. They're too busy. Yeah. Can I um, – That's a good update. Can I say who they are? I think – so I I think we should Twitter pressure them into uh, joining the show. They're yeah. very busy on Wednesdays. Yeah. Could we make Tuesday work with them? Yeah, depending on what it is. So it's uh, Big Cat – and PFT, uh-huh. it, it just feels natural that they would want it. We, we're the we are the top NFL podcast featuring an Irishman, yeah, based out of Cincinnati, number one in that demographic. And I think they should want to join the show. But also, they it's, should want so, to be a part of this. And why do we want them on the show? Because we use our guests to preview Thursday night football. And Thursday night football next week is Washington against Chicago, which is yeah. each one of those is a fan of one of those teams. Yeah, so it just it feels natural that they would want to be on the top NFL podcast in a week when their teams are playing each other. Mm. Wednesday's usually our day. They're both they're, they're both swamped. PFT, yeah. Big Cat, they're both swamped all day Wednesday. I'm willing to do something on Tuesday. I'm willing to pre-record the interview on Tuesday if uh, if they are. But we need our people. We we need our people to like tag them and just pressure them like, hey, join the PFF NFL podcast. And if we get enough pressure, maybe we can strong arm them into uh, being a part of the show. Can okay. you make Tuesday work? I know you're, you have a busy I mean, It depends Tuesday. when it is, but we, I can try. All right, let's go. Let's go uh, Go strong-arm them on Twitter. Go bully them on Twitter nicely and say you guys need to join the PFF NFL podcast next week to preview Commander's Bears. But this week, we're talking Commander's Titans. Um, our guy Timo had a pretty interesting stat about the Titans and their scripted plays and how good they've been in the first quarter. They're, they're doing it to kind of push, hey, maybe the first quarter over under Titans – you know, picking the Titans in the first quarter is a smart move because they've been so much better early in the game rather than later. I don't know if that's a – you know, the, the, the stats kind of show that there's some consistent consistency there, but we've seen that come and go for teams throughout the years, right? Was it uh, the Packers were, like, unbelievable on scripted plays early on and then they'd fall apart the first year that Aaron Rodgers was with Matt LaFleur? It doesn't seem to be the same teams every year that deal with this, but that's what the Titans are dealing with right now. Any thoughts on that? No. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. They're using Derrick Henry in the past game just a little bit more. Um, I do want to highlight Charles Leno, once again, did a really nice job against Micah Parsons. Should be better against Tennessee's lack of edge rushers right now. I kind of like Washington as a home dog here. As I say, if, if the offense can't get going in this game, then they're basically done for the year. Uh, Washington's defensive front is, has still got some teeth as well, and... Like Dennis Daly at left tackle for the Titans did really well in his first game, and then last week not so much. So the first game was sort of like, oh, maybe Dennis Daly can actually hold the fort down at left tackle and not be a big weak link and a liability in pass blocking. And then last week is, ah, yeah, okay, probably not. So if that happens again, the Titans offense is going to have some pressure on it. So, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, I like Washington's chances of getting back on track in this game. And then if they can't, 
they are in the Baker Mayfield bucket of they're I'm done out. The thing that scares me is what I said on the review show the other day, which was like, all right, who pick out the stars for the Titans yesterday? And it was Joe Schobert off the waiver wire, and it was uh, Denico Archery, and you know he's he's been a solid NFL player for his career, but it's not like the dude should be taking over games. He's actually been playing well this year. He has been. I'm just saying, like that's classic Titans, right? Getting kind of a journeyman, good, solid rotational defensive lineman to play really well and, and make some key plays. That's the one thing that scares me a little bit when you go against the Titans is they always do seem to get those performances. But you mentioned the tackles are struggling. Um, if you're watching this game, Titans left guard Aaron Brewer is one of the most fascinating players in the league because he's a guard playing – he's a 6'1", 270, 274. You see the list weight, and it looks like a mistake. You know, sometimes you get guys that they, they weighed in as a freshman, and then they, they gain weight, but you never change. Mm. Brew was like a legit 274, well, and he's coming off his best game last week against the Colts. For context, Jason Kelsey, the undersized center that looks like a linebacker out there, is a 282. Yeah, and center, like, center's a place where you do get some undersized guys. Yeah, but the point is he's eight pounds yes. lighter than than Jason Kelsey. Yeah, and yeah, back in the day... like and the, shorter. Back in the day, like the old Shanahan teams, it was like, oh, the Broncos like undersized guys. Even in those days, their, their undersized guys were 290 back then in the 90s. So there's 330-pound guards these days. So it's just he's a fascinating player to watch. Um, Tannehill... Still throwing the ball pretty well. I still I have concerns about their playmakers, as I have for quite a while. And um, I think I'm going to lean Washington as home underdogs here. I don't love it, but I think they're comparable teams with the difference being, yeah, the Titans do uh, – they get these underrated contributions sometimes. I'm going to say this week they don't. Okay. So give me Washington. Where are you going? Same. Wow. Look at us agreeing. Atlanta Falcons at the Tampa Bay Bucks, a battle for first place in the NFC South. Both teams two and two. Bucks favored by nine, though. Yeah, uh, it does feel like a pretty good kind of get right spot for Tampa Bay. Uh, the the Falcons defense, yeah, all the problems with the Bucks generally outside of last week where they got lit up by the Chiefs. They got Mahomes. Um, outside of last week, all the problems with Tampa Bay have been on the offense. The offensive line hasn't been great. The receivers have been injured and not great. Um, those shouldn't be a problem against Atlanta's defense, which isn't good. So. I would imagine Brady's under less pressure. I would imagine he's actually got some receivers who can win, and therefore the offense should look a lot more like we were expecting Tampa Bay's offense to look like this off there this season. And their defense, I think, is I mean, it's anytime you're facing Atlanta, it's a challenge. But I think they're good enough to slow them down. So I I think this is a comfortable win for the Bucks. But nine's a lot of points. Yeah, nine is a lot of points. I think the Bucks they've had a lot of success against Atlanta the last couple of years. They've been a, a better team. Um, and I agree. I think the Bucks' offense is just going to continue to get better. Brady's still throwing the ball pretty well, and he'll have better guys to throw to as they stay healthy. Chris Godwin seems to be healthy right now. He'll be playing. Mike Evans, we'll see what they get out of Julio Jones. But that part of it should be better for the Bucks. I'm also curious to see if they do neglect the run. If, was it game script that made them neglect the run the other day or just like, all right, this isn't working? Leonard Fournette is low. The Bucks' running game is bad no matter which way you slice it. Traditional stats, against expectation, uh, all of it. It's just very ineffective. And I, I'm wondering if they're still going to try to – are they going to try to get the run game right again or are they just going to say this is Brady and as long as he has a couple good receivers, put it in his hands, let him go. On the other hand, I want to see Atlanta. Arthur Smith was so excited about their run game coming out of that Cleveland game. And I think – 
as I've said, there's reasons for that. I think Atlanta did a nice job of exploiting a mismatch. Cleveland is was overwhelmed on the defensive front. Tampa Bay shouldn't be, even though they didn't play well at all against Kansas City. Kansas City's got an awesome offensive line. You know, that's part of the reason. So normally you're not trying to run, run, pass, run, run, pass against this Tampa front. You want to spread them out a little bit, and, you know, Atlanta's got some playmakers to to throw to. But I want to see if Atlanta tries to replicate last week's game plan, which was run heavy and, if the, you know, keep the ball away from Tampa's offense, the whole thing. If they do that, just like I said in the Raiders game, I think uns- that could be unsuccessful and lead to more of a blowout. In it's this up one. to nine and a half, by the way. It's up to nine and a half. Yeah, yeah I like the Bucks in this one at nine. I want it at nine. We can't have it. At nine. It's in the. It was in the dock at nine. Oh, I just change it. Well, now I don't want it. Look, these are these are live updates. The live update has moved the line. It's nine and a half. Can't have it. Give me the Bucks at nine and a half. He's still the Bucks. Yeah, that's a lot of points. It's a lot. It is. I think Tampa Bay wins, but I'm going to lean with Atlanta to cover. Atlanta's feisty. Not as feisty as the Texans. God no. But they're feisty. I think, uh, yeah, I think Tampa Bay bounces back after the Sunday night football thrashing against the Kansas City Chiefs. Seattle Seahawks at the New Orleans Saints. We have the Saints by five and a half in this one. So again, when you're talking about what's the last thing that we just saw, we saw the Seahawks run, what, 48, 48, 45 against the Lions? Seahawks put up 48 points last week. They're two and two. Saints are one and three. Saints are favored by five and a half at home here. Yeah. Um, One other very important data point, 10 a.m. start for the uh, Seattle Seahawks as they travel from the west to the east coast. Oh, I see. Very important. thought you were like, why is the game happening at 10 a.m. Eastern? 10 a.m. for the Seahawks. 1 p.m. for their most people on Eastern time. Yeah. It's also a a mountain time as well, which I will not refer to. No. No, it is is indeed. I'm sure there is a time that it, it applies on mountain time, but I'm not interested in what it is. What are you looking for in this one? Uh, I'm curious if this, so the Saints defensive line has not been great this year. You know, the talent wise, individual, the collection, it should be good. It should be one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. It should be doing what Buffalo's line is doing or something similar. And it isn't really. Um, it's not like it's playing badly, but it hasn't been the kind of game changing force that it has the potential to be or probably should be in a game like this. So, you know, can they step up and actually make some plays and really cause problems for that Seattle offensive line? Because if it can't, like if, if the Seahawks are able to run the ball as well as they've been, if they're able to protect Geno Smith, I'm actually confident at this point that he'll have some success and look good again. Like the number two graded quarter, no, number one graded quarterback in the NFL right yeah, now. Yeah, number two number passing, two number passing one overall. Um, like Geno's looked legitimately good. He's, he's had an all-pro caliber start to the season. Has Gino reached the phase where we can say he's just in a different tier of quarterback than we anticipated? Much like Ryan Tannehill in 2019, we kept saying he'll come back down to earth. You know, there's not it's small sample size. Small sample. Like Tannehill came back down to earth a little bit, but his like Tannehill's legitimate three best seasons have been the last three years. Yeah, in Tennessee, and he's never really reverted back to the same play as he had with the Dolphins. It's four games. But is Geno Smith there yet? And is that in part because we really haven't seen him play for an extended period yeah. of time since 2014? I think we must be very close to the point where we have to acknowledge that Geno Smith is a different player than a lot of people thought he was. Um, I think he's... Remember we were talking about backup quarterbacks and somehow they can sit on the bench for like six years based off a game they had one time back in the day and we just assume they're the same guy six years later? 
And then they get on the field again. He's like, what the hell happened to that guy? It's like, well, he got six years older and sat his ass on the bench for six years. Like, how, how much better did you think he was going to be? Um, I think Gino is like the flip side of that, right? Which is he wasn't great as a young player. He struggled. He had a couple of flashes here or there. He had a couple of games here or there that were really good. But basically cracked out of a couple of places earlier in his career and then became the guy that was a lifelong backup and sat his ass on the bench for a long time. And we just assumed that he's the same guy because all you get to see is a preseason performance here or there or an occasional game in relief duty, and then you're always dealing in small sample size, right? So it's it's always too early to say, well, is, is he actually different? It's like, no, it's just one game randomly where he came off the bench, you know? But I six years or however long it was of Geno Smith sitting down as a backup quarterback could easily have given him genuine developmental time that quarterbacks otherwise don't get in the NFL. Like, we forget because of how much the NFL is now this immediate success thing and how there are quarterbacks that hit the ground running, how long it used to take quarterbacks to develop. You know? Steve Young sure. was garbage for his first few years in the league had to, and then sat for an extra years and then eventually got on the field for the 49ers and became a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like, quarterbacks used to take years to become the players that they were able that were going to be even if they were high draft picks even if they were expected to be stars it took a long time for them to develop and now you don't get that chance you get thrown out there after four games and if you're not good after 16 games we're getting rid of you or we're looking in another direction or you know whatever you don't get five years to figure it out anymore but you do if you kind of flame out and then survive long enough as a backup and get another shot you might not take it or you might not have that ability anyway you know you might just be Blaine Gabbert but I think there's also a world where players like Geno Smith can have like a resuscitated career later on. Yeah, man, I think well said. I mean, that's where I, I think in team building world strategically, do you just store quarterbacks? Like, do you just use two roster spots on quarterbacks, carry four all the time, just in case at some point they're going to develop or at some point you're going to have a Russell Wilson that you feel less good about and you flip them or whatever it is or you're like the Raiders and it's like well Derek Carr's not getting it done what if we're just we have a cheaper option like a Geno Smith or I don't know it's for another day um I think in this one though the Saints are going to give them a battle the Saints secondary generally does make they have games where they make life difficult for opposing quarterbacks even in the dome where it's easier to pass Saints are number five EPA per play allowed on 10 plus yard throws last week was the first week seattle's offense really did start pushing the ball down the field like we were complimenting i was complimenting gino in a different way through three weeks through three weeks i was saying he's not missing throws it's a safe game plan they're working the underneath stuff but even week three they'd started with atlanta opened it up a little bit last week really opened it up i mean he was over 10 yards average depth of target dk and lockett just creating big plays i don't know if they're going to be able to do that against the saints this week there's a reason why it's a five and a half point spread the other side is Seattle's defense is as bad as it gets. Tariq Woolen has been fantastic as for a rookie, and given that he was a fifth-rounder, freak athlete. Uchenna Nwosu's been one of the better pickups this offseason for any team playing on the edge for Seattle. Everything else is bad. <laughs> run defense, I mean, their, their number, the second-worst run defense grade, the seventh-worst pass rush grade, and second-worst coverage grade for us right now through four games. I like the Saints to win. I don't know if they can cover the five and a half, but I like the Saints to win this game. 
for sure. Um, DK Metcalf against Marshawn Lattimore is going to be a fun battle. They yeah. played last year. I, I, New Orleans did a good job. This was, I mean, this is the thing. We saw Geno Smith play football last year, and yeah. there was a couple good games in there. But when he played against New Orleans, the old Geno Smith tendencies, which was hold the ball, take some too many sacks, he was inconsistent. And that showed up in the Saints game last year. It didn't show up against, say, Jacksonville. He completed 12 passes in that game. Yeah. yeah. And a huge amount of that 12 passes, the 12 passes for 167 yards, a ton of which I think came on one DK Metcalf play. It was one he, big play. Like he busted out. Like Marshawn Lattimore, the point I was about to make was Lattimore – I th- DK Metcalf is the kind of receiver that Lattimore does well against. You know, the Mike Evans style of big, physical, gets-in-a-fight type of receiver. And from memory, I think Lattimore basically won that matchup for almost the entire time, and then DK got him with one big play. Yeah. And it's like that sort of puts it back in the, you know, the either-or category. But if Lattimore is able to do that to him physically every game, he probably wins that matchup most weeks. All right, I'm going to take Seattle – to cover because five and a half feels strong and seattle plays weird games and tight games all right four more games here they're not as good detroit lions at the new england patriots patriots by three and a half now it's up to three and a half we getting uh brian hoyer back here for the patriots it's a good question i don't think mac jones is going to be able to play no he's starting to throw more but i don't see that what looked like a potential season ending injury with the look on his face i don't see that being a two-week uh, two-week injury uh, Hoyer's uh, still in concussion protocol Mike Reese reports Hoyer concussion remained silent during Thursday's practice hmm. it's usually like didn't see him didn't dress just remained silent okay Mac Jones was a limited participant stoic. on Wednesday stoic Axel Bill Belichick and Nick Saban right now both have like pretty injured quarterbacks and it is hilarious they're both like yeah, we'll see what he can do. Like they're both hand- yeah, like like Saban and Belichick would. We'll see what they can do this week. Yeah, both of them. Um, <clears throat> I mean, this matters if we're going to see <laughs> Bailey Zappi versus it? Brian Hoyer. I think so. Really? Yeah. How good do you think Brian Hoyer is? And is it based off a game he played in 2012? <laughs> I just think. I mean, Zappi. I mean, look, he was thrown in there the other day. Yeah. Zappy just yeah, you know, there are plays he looked like looked like an overwhelmed rookie. Uh-huh. Zappy could be good. He had a decent preseason. He was chucking it down the field, letting guys go up and make plays. That's what they need to do here against this Lions defense. Um, T.J. Hawkinson's banged up too. He's coming off of like a, I mean, he was Mark Bavaro, Rob Gronkowski, tra- Travis Kelsey rolled into one last week, eighty-one yarder out of nowhere and all that stuff. I, I want to see him play just to see if Belichick gives him the uh, Antonio Gates treatment. Like we're gonna put like we're never we're not gonna let T.J. Hawkinson beat us, type of treatment. I could see that happening if if Hawkinson's a go and healthy. And of course, the Lions are giving up the most points and scoring the most points in the NFL. Yeah, it's gonna be an exciting game in New England. Statistically, or at least points-wise, the most exciting team in the NFL so far. Um, I'm curious where the Lions' pass rush is. You know, we looked on paper heading into the season. A lot of young guys, but a lot of guys that have shown the ability to get after the passer. And of course, rookie Aiden Hutchinson. Hutchinson leads them in pressures, but it's, it's taken him, you know, 150 snaps rushing the passer to get those pressures, and his pass rushing grade hasn't been that great. Nobody on their defense has a particularly good pass rushing grade. They're all, like, in the 50s. They're all below average. That, that feels like they should be better than that and haven't been yet. 
Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of pressure on Aaron Glenn, a defensive coordinator over there. So they're talking about changes, whether it's personnel, whether it's schematically simplifying. I know Dan Campbell talked about simplifying things a little bit. Mm. I think that I think the Lions are going to respond here. I mean, it's two one and three teams. Where if if the Patriots are going to hold the fort until Mac Jones gets back, you got to win a game like this. And if the Lions, I think the Lions are better than what they're showing. It is, it's exciting that their offense is creating what they've created. We did an Explain the Grade yesterday about Jared Goff, how Goff played well the other day, but not 390 yards and four touchdowns well, maybe. But that's what they're doing there is they're creating big plays, run game and pass game. That's exciting, but the defense has just been so bad in Detroit that, you know, it's, it's, it's a roller coaster ride. But I feel like the Lions are going to kind of like them as underdogs here. The other important... Um question mark in terms of injuries is Amon Ross and Brown for the the Lions I don't still quite understand how it's working as well as it does but Amon Ross and Brown is huge for that offense um didn't practice on Wednesday I think and I don't know he's a big question mark for this game if they don't have him as much as it worked last week you know a big part of that was the TJ Hawkinson thing and it just makes them incrementally easier to shut down if they don't have him there one other thing to keep an eye on here is Jared Goff against the zero blitz, the uh, the vaunted zero blitz. This was every Belichick disciple, including the Super Bowl in the 2018 season. It was the zero blitz, right? Where you blitz everybody, you leave everybody one-on-one on the back end. Goff, whether it was Goff or the Rams offense, never really handled this very well. We'll see if it's just a Goff thing, but we've seen, you know, Brian Flores did it in Miami when they played the Rams a couple years ago. Goff threw a I can't remember if it was an actual pick six or should be pick six. He threw the pick to Stephon Gilmore in the Super Bowl. It feels like Belichick's going to save some of these, you know, for the end, scheming it up and just uh, sending the house and seeing how Goff handles that. So keep an eye on that schematically in this game. All that said, I don't have that much faith in both either Bailey Zappi or Brian Hoyer here. Patriots have to play like last week, right? Get a pick six, control the ball on the ground against Detroit. I like the Lions to cover the three and a half here. Yeah, I do as well. I think, I mean, even even without Amonris and Brown, I think that offense is going to put up some points. And I just I don't think the Patriots defense or the Patriots offense, regardless of quarterback, is going to be particularly good, even against a, an underachieving Lions defense. So, yeah, I, I kind of like Detroit here. All right, we're both taking Detroit. Let's go Chicago Bears at the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings favored by seven and a half. Justin Fields is, look, there's just some stats that are unbelievable through four games. He's there, There's like record-breaking type of stats. Not in a good way. Not in a good way. Mm. Um, Cooper Cup has more receptions than Justin Fields has completions. Justin Fields also has his 34 completions on the season, and he has 33 dropbacks that have resulted in a sack or a scramble. Mm-hmm. So he is just as likely to get sacked or run past the line of scrimmage as he is to complete a pass through four games so far i don't know what to do with any of this to the to the and somebody somebody made a tim tebow comparison on my timeline and i'm just saying from uh how he's playing the game and you know you've got this you know 20 dropbacks type of game where he's running more than he's passing and all this stuff like there are some some elements to that yeah it hasn't been great for justin fields um now look Everything we talked about in the offseason is still true. This is a terrible, terrible situation around him. It is. Bad offensive line, bad group of skill position players. The offense, as it's being called, the scheme, I don't think is actually doing a terrible job, but 
it's not good for Fields, but he's not helping, you know? And, yeah, the, there's so many plays. You only have to turn on the tape for a couple of, of minutes and see there are plays where it shouldn't result in a scramble or a sack, but it does, you know? At some point, Fields actually needs to be able to operate within the limitations of the offense as it currently stands. His propensity right now to just bail on the play and figure something else out on the fly is way 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 too high and when you look at what the offense is doing otherwise like they're running the ball pretty well yep they can apparently run block well enough for the either of those running backs to have success behind it i'm very curious if you're minnesota or any defense right now like how do you actually what's the game plan for justin fields because he's not the way he's playing the game i think is kind of bad for Chicago but it's also by far their biggest threat you know oh yeah him right him breaking out of the pocket and then doing something right whether it's running past five of your guys whether it's delivering a pass to somebody deep down the field that is by far the biggest threat that the Chicago Bears offense brings to the table on the other hand it's also by far the most ineffective thing they're doing so do you just like you just deliberately go nuts and sell out and try and force him out of the pocket on the basis that, all right, he might hurt us once or twice, but generally it's not going well for them? Or do you try and bottle him up and make him play from within the pocket and say, well, he can't even do that right now, so that's our best way of winning? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a part of you that thinks, like, blitz him like crazy and make him make quick decisions. It's not just him. It's, like you said, it's the offensive line, right? I mean, pressure up the middle, making them – just making that team make protection calls and – and yeah. set up against a blitz but like you said fields can out athlete people too you have a free rusher he'll juke him get outside the pocket create some big plays i also don't think he hasn't lost his ability to make big time throws he has one it was last week against you know the deep ball to darnell mooney last last year there was, that was like the one thing coming out of last season where it's like all right field still shows these special plays and i've, I've compared him to ryan Tannehill before which is not looking as good because i thought fields could have Tannehill like accuracy while having Tannehill like early in his career questionable pocket presence and negative plays and things like that we haven't seen that level of accuracy yet that intermediate range that Tannehill showed so I don't know if Fields is just there yet but I know we can flip the field with some big time throws they're just not a part of this offense because look the receivers are bad the offensive line's bad and Fields is not playing very well no he's not um I think Trent Dilfer was trying to uh defend him in reference to PFF grades, I have people sending me some of that. Trent's a friend. I, I get it. He gives this PFF knows the what, not the why. And I was like, I mean, the what's pretty good as also, far as describing what is happening on the play. I mean, we've told you the why. Like, is, yeah. Is I, it- I mean, I know I can – the grade can tell you the what. We do know how to describe the why as well. I can see the why. And it, at this point, it doesn't really matter. Like, the question – the defense of Justin Fields is, well, the situation around him is bad. Absolutely. Acknowledged. Agreed. And in fact, predicted. Like we said this coming into the year that I, I took on no end of crap for saying that Chicago basically stripped this thing back to bare metal around Justin Fields and then said, now go win games. He's been set up for failure in a way that maybe no other quarterback in the NFL this year has been. Oh, but OK, that's not changing. Like the, the question is essentially, is this 100 percent because of what they put him in? No, because Justin Fields is also contributing to the the failures. He is taking a bad situation and right now making it worse. And, you know, compare Justin Fields to Daniel Jones right now. 
Daniel Jones has a lot of the same flaws as Justin Fields. He also has a lot of the same positives as Justin Fields in terms of a big arm capable of making good throws. Remember, Danny Dimes came from somewhere um, before it became ironic. Uh, He's also apparently one of the best rushing threats in the NFL as a quarterback, particularly when he's facing the Bears and they just don't bother defending that. Daniel Jones right now is averaging about half the negative EPA per play on that, that Justin Fields is. So essentially, Justin Fields is twice as bad as Daniel Jones this year, is what I'm saying. In a comparably bad situation. Okay, Justin Fields has got Andrew Thomas. The Bears don't have anybody that good. But the rest of that offensive line is bad. And his receivers are bad. So two pretty rough situations. Justin Fields is about twice as bad so far as Daniel Jones. Like, that's what we're talking about here. It, it's not all Justin Fields. But this is kind of the reality of what I was talking about coming into the season, which is if this is what the season looks like for him all the way through the year and the Bears end up with a high draft pick, I don't, he can't, I don't see how he can be the starting quarterback next year because they can't turn down whoever the best quarterback available to them in the draft is for this. On the other side, Bears defense... They have their own problems. They're fourth worst in EPA per play, 10-plus yard throws. I feel like that's going to play right into the Vikings' hands. No answer for Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. I like Kirk Cousins to put up some good numbers in this game. Seven and a half doesn't feel crazy. I like the Vikings. I like the Vikings to cover. This is where I, I my, my prediction is the Bears, I, I don't know their schedule off the top of my head. I know they play Washington next week. That won't be the game. I think we're going to start seeing more Bears games where they're 10-point underdogs as the season goes on and i think we're going to start settling into yeah the bears are they're a rebuilding roster and that's just where they are i mean a week ago you know chicago fans defense was well we're two and one shut up right well now you just lost to the giants and you scored 12 points now you're two and two and looking like bad you know your wins came against tech houston who are arguably the worst team in the nfl and san francisco in a rainstorm where our immediate reaction was throw that game out immediately it doesn't mean anything so that's what you're hanging your record on. This is not a good Chicago Bears team. I think that the Vikings probably win this relatively comfortably. It's also the kind of game where, like, two random-ass Justin Fields plays make it a five, you know, four-point game. Vikings play down to their competition. Yeah, that too. Division game. Now, I think Minnesota beat them comfortably twice last year, right? But this is absolutely the kind of game where the Vikings could conspire to make Justin Fields look like a star on a couple of plays, and that's enough to bridge the gap from over a touchdown and cousins in that passing attack have been pretty good outside of the eagles game really and so you don't want that was the one game prime time and in front of everybody and it's not morning kirk and where they failed it's been when their offensive line has been overwhelmed and the bears don't really have the players to do that so it should be that's what i'm saying i just don't feel about the bear feel good about the bears anywhere on their roster give me the vikings by seven and a half two more games to discuss san francisco 49ers at the carolina panthers before we do get into this though don't forget about the pff app go check it out uh, download it from the app store we've got all of your fantasy advice your betting advice sam's great writing all that great stuff pff app go check it out we got the all pro team mm. out there as well we broke that down on the pff nfl daily today but you can read that whole article on the pff app by sam share it out give sam all the shares we got a little competition going we're trying to get sam to win this thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so check that out with the pff app so the 49ers at the carolina panthers another one I, where i feel like the six and a half point spread here for the niners is it is it me feeling the the Monday night domination by the Niners and the way their defense is playing uh, and forgetting that two weeks ago they barely made uh, – or they lost to the Broncos, right, 12 to 11. 
They, they struggled against the Broncos. Am I forgetting that too much? Because six and a half, the other part of it is the Panthers will look terrible offensively. Pretty good defensively. Yeah. So six and a half, is that enough here in this one? It's at Carolina, the whole deal. But six and a half, the Niners do feel like a much better overall team. The, the, the fact that the Panthers' defense is pretty good, I think, is the important part, part here because the over-under is under 40 in this game. So essentially yeah. Vegas is saying this is going to be a pretty low-scoring game, at which point the, you know, the lower scoring the game, the higher the six and a half becomes in terms of percentage. You know, the, higher, the bigger a margin that is, the lower you get. So to, I got the, the, the Panthers' offense is going to get murdered. Like we just saw what the 49ers' defense was able to do to the Rams. The Rams have a better offense than the Panthers do, and if they have problems, they're in the same areas. So we might see a different quarterback in this game for the Panthers. I understand Sam Darnold isn't back ready yet, but they might Baker Mayfield might get sat down at some point in this game. You think so? Yeah. Are there any rumblings about that? I mean, they keep. We've reached the point in the season where every press conference they're asking about Sam Darnold, but I suspect that at some point. There's only so much. I don't even oh, think I mean, it's all. I'm Baker's at the point fault. where if Sam Darnold's healthy, I think they're gonna, they'll give it to him. Oh, great! They'll give him the start. But I think in the meantime, we might end up seeing PJ. So we're talking about like Geno Smith shows up six years later, looking like a completely different quarterback. Like Baker looks broken. Yeah, but and this might be it. Is he going to show up six years later? And this is it, man. I don't even think this is a. Okay, admittedly, with the caveat that I'm out on Baker Mayfield. I don't think this is all his fault at all. Like, this, this is maybe the worst scheme in the NFL in terms of what they're running. They're setting nobody do up it, for success. You can't throw out. I'm not. Don't I'm not throw throwing it out. out. Baker's playing badly. He's not playing well. He is not helping the situation. It's like the Justin Fields thing again. But this is a terrible offense. This is not. I mean, we know this isn't Baker Mayfield's baseline. We've seen his baseline. When he had Freddie Kitchens running the joint, he was playing better than this. Like, this is not what we should be expecting from Baker Mayfield. This is a terrible, terrible Panthers offense. <sighs> yeah, I mean, six and a half just feels like, I feel like the Niners are going to overwhelm the Panthers. We get to see Nick Bosa versus Iki Iquanu. That's a fun little matchup there. Iki, much like... Not if you're Iki, it's not. Not if you're Iki, but I mean, the same thing. Like you're Or Baker. It's fun watching these young left tackles have to go through the gauntlet, though, right? When they have to go through some of the best pass rushers right off the bat. Like, see, let's see what you got, kid. Um, Icky, so last week, Icky had his best game in the NFL. Um, gave up, what did he give up? Ooh, one pressure. Gave up one pressure. And he actually did it against a half-decent player, Marcus Golden. Okay, he's, you know, you refer to Arizona's edge rushers as the worst edge rushing situation it's, in the NFL. It's kind of bad. But Marcus Golden is a guy that can get pressure, and particularly if you're bringing like a substandard tackle to the table. No, let me let me bring some data to the table here. Is it data yeah. or data? I go back and forth. Depends I like both. Icky lost 32 percent of his reps against Miles Garrett. That's that's a high number. That yeah. sounds that's that's a high number in one on ones. 32 uh-huh. percent against one of the best. He shut out Marcus Golden. Yes, who's not that good. He's pretty good. I put some okay. respect on Marcus. Golden. I like Marcus name. Golden. He's like mid tier at best. Marcus Golden has Jihad Ward and Zach Allen. So Icky has shut down those three guys who are average at best. No, no, you're underselling Marcus Golden. Marcus Golden has four seasons in his career with more than 50 pressures. He's got one more with 46. What's his best grade, like 71, 68 pass rush? His best grade as a pass rusher is 75.1. Okay, that's pretty good. He has four seasons 
over 70, including last one, including the last two, in fact. Good for Icky. He has never had a grade until this year under 60 as a pass rusher. Consistent. He's he solid. Is He's an, a, at least an average pass rusher, if not above average. He's Leonard Floyd. And in particular, going against bad players. Okay. He feasts. So for Icky to show up and Good limit him to one pressure in that game is a win. I just, wanted, an, to highlight, I just wanted to highlight the difference here. The shutouts for Ike Iquanu came against Marcus Golden, Jihad Ward, and Zach Allen. Lost 32% of the time in his debut against Miles Garrett. Yeah. I think we're going to see something closer to that. I agree. I just, I'm saying it's, it's an unfortunate kind of culture shock or you know, shock to the system for Ike to come out of a game and be like, hey, you know, Marcus Golden's a pretty good player. I did, I did a good job there. I limited him to one pressure. Like I, I'm, a, I'm feeling good coming out of that game. And then looming on the horizon is Nick Bosa off a 14-pressure game who bears an awful lot more resemblance to Miles Garrett from the you know from icky season than Marcus Golden. I'm just saying that's a bummer for the guy. I'm just it's it's just like the note boom conversation though. It's like Vaughn Miller, Falcons, Cardinals, and then uh, Nick Bosa, and yeah, I mean there's whenever Micah of, Parsons faces him, this yeah you know, that's it's a challenge, man. There's a lot of viable tackles in the NFL that are simply overmatched yeah. by elite pass rushers. Um, one other stat that stood out to me as I was doing my research here: Baker Mayfield against man coverage this year is 14 for 42. He's completing 33% of his passes against man. Yeah. That's rough. A Niners D is looking good, man. They're going to make plays. Give me the give me the Niners covered in the six and a half on the road here. Yeah. Even yeah. with the cross-country flight. Justin Fields, by the way, is the only quarterback grading worse than Baker Mayfield right now. Yeah. It's poor. Hmm. Panthers offense is poor. It, it, it's, it's garbage. It's terrible. Um. Ben McAdoo said, I've, I've come in to make an impact or something to that effect, and I haven't. That's, I'm paraphrasing, of well, course. The, the most complimentary thing you could say is that he hasn't made an impact. The more... I mean, you could say he's made an impact. Mm. You could. Actually, if you were being honest, you're, you would say, you know what, you have made an impact. It's just not, it's in the wrong way. Carolina defense, hashtag fun to watch, but not as fun as uh, San Francisco's entire team that's going to cover the six and a half. Houston Texans at the... Did you pick? I didn't, but I'm going with you. Same. Yeah, you're taking the Niners as well. Out on the Panthers. San, uh, what are we? Well, I want one more game. Houston Texans at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Make sure I didn't miss anything. That's 16 games, right? That's all of them. Sure. Texans at Jaguars. Jaguars favored by seven. Yeah. Coming off of their loss against the Philadelphia Eagles. Jaguars two and two. We, we could go. We, were, we had all the feels for the Jaguars. Then they get up 14-0. The feels are still there. And they gave up the next 29 points against the Eagles. So where, 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 where do we stand on the Jaguars? Well, what we need to ascertain is whether Trevor Lawrence bounces back after a bad game against Philadelphia, but one that I'm all too willing to throw out because it was raining. Oh, of course. You know, it of was course. damp. We need the man fumble the ball away. on a, Four times. On a, yeah, well, it was wet. Have you tried to hold on to a football when it's raining? Okay, Lawrence is QB... Let's just let's just make sure we throw this out properly. Twenty six, including the rain game, in Take our rankings. the rain, and what do we get? Oh man, they really made this like extra clicks here in premium, huh? They really made the extra clicks. You take out the rain game. Uh huh. He's twelve. See? So you're talking QB twelve. Uh huh. Going up against the Texans here. Well, that changes things. That's what I'm saying. Throw it out. It was damp. And that made him fumble the ball a lot. <laughs> Throw it out. It was dipped. Yep. Can we get a weather report in Jacksonville this weekend? Well, since you asked, available on the PFF app. Uh, hang on, I just closed it. So You're going straight from the app here? Yeah. The weather report? 84, uh, 10 mile an hour winds and clear 
No give me, rain. Give me the Jags. Clear saying. weather. QB 12. Trevor Lawrence. Bounces back now that it's not damp. Yeah. Let's do it. I mean, it was very wet out there. You know, you sent me the video of how cold Devontae Smith was. Didn't look fun. Oh, Devontae, yeah. I mean, dude, if you got a little, little rain in October's uh, messing with you, there's a reason why he caught three passes for no yards, right? Yeah. Or 17, I mean, look, whatever it was. You don't have a lot of insulation working for you when you're 166 pounds at his height. Yeah. You know, you're going to feel the, the cold pretty quickly. Uh, Jack's defense actually playing pretty well, making some plays on the back end. And, yeah. Um, that's what Davis Mills is also, by the way, in a he's playing the conservative brand of football. He had a beautiful uh, touchdown pass to Brandon Cooks. Was that last week? The Chargers game? It's all <laughs> blending together. Beautiful touchdown pass there. Was that last week? Mills Mills is kind of taking care of the ball. It's funny because you called him like budget Andrew Luck. Mm. He plays differently though. He's a get rid of the ball quickly, take care of it. He's he's more in like the Jacoby Brissett line of no not with the time to throw but on the conservative end of taking care of it and all the whole thing continues to intrigue davis mills yeah in given the situation i like the jags though i I love watching this jags defense i really think even though you know they struggled last week after the hot start but watching trayvon walker and josh allen and them dropping into coverage and rushing and some of the athleticism in the middle and on the back end i like where jacksonville's going I do as well. And when you look at their schedule, they could actually put a run together here. We've got Houston yeah. now. We both think they'll win. I think they'll cover as well. I think it sounded like you were as well. Then they go to Indianapolis. That's a game they could win. Then they face the Giants at home. Then they face Denver at home. Then they face the Raiders at home. Then they go away to Kansas City. Okay, then it gets tough. Then Baltimore. But then Detroit, Tennessee, Dallas, like Dallas is a rough game. This is a lot of potential wins on the schedule. Jags are becoming one of my favorite teams to watch. So whatever that's worth because they, they like 2017 you've got this accumulation of all the uh, the first round picks maybe coming together and um even though they lost last week to the eagles they lost to the eagles eagles are good jags are bouncing back this week covering the seven yes agreed i talked to my old college roommate uh last night first time in almost 20 years okay reminiscing because you know we went to the hall of fame this weekend we didn't get to see each other Reminiscing, and he reminded me, I'd forgotten this, that when we were rooming together, I did have a Mark Brunel poster on the wall. Hmm. He was like, Yeah, we had the on the mark, it said, as Brunel on was. The mark. Yeah. I forgot that I brought the Brunel poster to college. It's a great pun. Yeah, it was great. It was also, it was good. He's, uh, he's a high school uh, football coach, full air raid. He used to be a wing T guy. He's like, I'm going full air raid. We're, we're doing it. So uh, it's good to, good to catch Lions? up with my roommate. We get the Lions on Thursday night. Can we get Brunel? When are the no the Lions don't play Thursday night they football play. they play thir- they play Thanksgiving, uh, but maybe that but we don't do a, a Wednesday show and Thanksgiving yeah we'll mess it up. So I would know. rather just be invited to Mark's house for Thanksgiving, just drive up to Detroit and hang sure. out and do Thanksgiving dinner after the game maybe. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know how amenable he's going to be to that yeah, based Mark off was, the picture of him. You know, I think Mark was meeting Kevin O'Connell or something like that the day that I met him. He was just yeah him and you wasn't in the right headspace meeting his biggest fan. You know, mm. on the mark. Maybe if I had the poster, we could get him on the show. You rock up to his house with the poster for him to sign. Stop calling me. That would be awkward for everybody involved. If what? If you rocked up to his house with the poster and a, and a Sharpie. Yeah. Mark, can you sign this? I may have been at the Lions facility last year, and I was like, would it be weird if I wore my Brunel jersey? They were like, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe mm. hold off on that. It would be, yeah. 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 Didn't do it. Next time, though. Next time, we'll see.
All right, that's it. 15 games all fully previewed. And, of course, Thursday Night Football. Enjoy Colts and Broncos. Uh, Check out the PFF NFL Daily. We'll have some kind of recap on that game. And then we'll be back here Monday morning recapping all of the Week 5 NFL action. We're close to getting you throwing on the field, too. Yeah, we. I don't think we can give where yet, but there is a very exciting venue in the pipeline for yeah. this that's going to come up pretty soon. It so. might be one of those stadiums that doesn't just have one deck. It's got the double deck, and it's like it's, it's a big stadium. It's cool. Well, so this Hopefully. It should be pretty fun, I think. Hopefully it doesn't fall through and we end up on a high school field. So, yeah, check it out. Sam's going to try to throw 60 very, very High soon. school field might help because I can actually use the mound. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, but... The big stadium probably won't. Can you get your own mound? Can you like bring a? Yeah, there's portable mounds. Oh yeah, yeah, portable. Well, you get one of those. It's kind of like what UC had. I mean, it's not portable, but it's turf. You know, it'd be a turf. How do we get a portable mound? You can build one. You're pretty handy. Just build it. You gotta get the slope. Build a mound. Yeah, just throw some turf on it. Turf. All right, that's it. We'll see you Monday morning. Recapping. Remember to hit the like button on the way out. Hit the like button. Right now, thumbs up. Hit the like button. We need 3,000. 3,000 likes. That's our goal. Okay. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. And uh, go go poke PFT commenter and, uh, and Big Cat. Go tell them we need to see you on the PFF NFL podcast next week. It's a preview, Commanders and Bears. All right. See you guys Monday. <laughs>